0: Cougar Sports Saturday. It's
1: complete another
0: touchdown. Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday, a presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte, on Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM.
2: Good afternoon, Cougar Nation. Welcome on Into Cougar Sports Saturday. Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte coming to you live from Salt Lake City, Utah. Broadcast house. It's BYU basketball game day. We're going to have a lot of BYU football talk for you. We are locked and loaded over the next three hours. And oh, by the way, we've got BYU great and new broadcaster, Jimmer Fredette. Going to be joining us here in hour number one. Can't wait to talk with him about this team, about Down Hall, about
3: his participation in the upcoming Paris Olympics in 2024.
2: Going to be a lot of fun with Jimmer. That's coming up in 30 minutes. We also have BYU basketball assistant coach Cody Fieger to preview today's game against West Virginia and also KSL 5 TV's Sam Farnsworth to talk Big 12 football schedule, but... Hey, we got to get into our thoughts on that 2024 BYU football schedule. Let's dive in.
0: The lead-off. lead-off. A look at the stories making headlines right, right now. now. It's time for the leadoff on Cougar Sports Saturday.
3: BYU football. They know who they're playing and when they're playing. And now we can plan accordingly for the fall. We can tell our wives and our families <laughs> we will not be around on certain weekends. We will be occupied on these days. Let's just start here, Mitch. I'll break down the schedule week by week, and then let's get your thoughts, the good and the bad, on the schedule release. So you start on August 31st, home game against Southern Illinois. Then you go down to Dallas on a Friday night to play SMU. Remember, they are a part of the ACC now. Then the following week, you go on the road to Laramie, so back-to-back road games against not-so-great names in the college football world. I know, as we mentioned, the Mustangs in the ACC, but still, at SMU, followed up with Wyoming. Oh. Then you come home to start Big 12 play, Kansas State. You, then you go on the road at Baylor. You have a bye for general conference. Then you come home. You host the Arizona Wildcats under new coach, Jed Fish, off to Washington. You bring in San Jose State's, is it Brent Brennan. Brennan. Okay, Brent Brennan. Kind of an interesting. Brent Brennan. Brent Brennan. (laughs) All right, then you have, it's not determined yet, the following week, Friday or Saturday, Oklahoma State. Then you go on the road late October to Orlando to the home of Mickey Mouse to play UCF. Then you've got a bye. Then you Mm. go on the road on November 9th at Utah. That is not the final game of the year. It's the first game of November. Come home to play Kansas, who now has Jeff Grimes as the O.C. Back on the road the following week, the 23rd, against Arizona State. And then uh, right after a hearty Thanksgiving, you're home against the Houston Cougars. Good, the bad. What what are your thoughts on that schedule?
2: It's a gauntlet of a schedule. I do think it's a little bit easier than last year's schedule because I don't look at anyone on this schedule and say that's a top-four team as you faced against Texas this past year. So, a little bit easier, but still, the nuances and how it all shakes out, very difficult once again for a 5-7 and seven BYU team that only experienced two wins in Big 12 play, one of which against the worst Big 12 team, Cincinnati, and then a third-string quarterback at Texas Tech. Difficult schedule again. I think we got to start things off with Utah. November 9th at Utah. We discussed every week on KSL on Mondays, we have a, a roundtable conversation that you can go check out Mondays. It's kind of appointment reading. We discussed where we thought or where we would like to see the layout of the BYU Utah game. I kind of was, was warning people in a way to, to where this could possibly be headed. I advocated for a mid October. I like this November 9th spot, though. And I know that some people hearing that are probably thinking, Mitch, are you crazy? It should be rivalry weekend. Here's my argument. The tradition of BYU-Utah went out the door when Utah did not fight the Pac-12 to say, hey, we might be in your league, but we are going to play our rival at the end of the season. That is happening, like Notre Dame does with USC. That didn't happen, though. And so tradition went out the door. This game became a September, an occasional November game. It just, it's been a hodgepodge of dates, or it doesn't even get played at all. And... You've got the best rivalry in the league. How can you find a way to get it on a big stage when we're living in a world where the SEC and Big Ten are just cannibalizing everything? How can you give some oxygen to BYU-Utah? I'm okay with it. And with how much this game means to everyone locally, why not give both teams two weeks, get healthy, get rested up, and be your best possible selves midseason to play a rivalry game. If you want to get mad about something, Cougar fans, I'd be more mad over the fact that it's not in Provo and that BYU oh, yeah. didn't say to the Big 12, hey, we were the team that wanted to be in this league. Play that game first in Provo. Uh, that's where you could have some arguments. But uh, I'm okay with the date. I think it's kind of cool.
3: Five seven five zero zero 00. Cougar Nation, we want to hear from you. Your thoughts on that BYU Utah game being on November 9th. Not the final game of the year. Do you like it? Do you hate it? Before the schedule came out, I think I would have hated this, but in our Roundtable article that you mentioned, you did kind of tease this, and I love the point that you made in the article, and it really swayed my opinion, which was it's very rarely two teams, 10 wins at the end of the year to where it's just this you know, classic top 20 battle to where the winner goes on to the championship game. That's not what it historically was. You brought that up, and I think... You're absolutely right, Mitch. I like the idea of it being a little after the midway point in this case because maybe there's a scenario in which two teams are ranked. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't want to – we'll give you our early record – way too early record predictions a little later on. But I like that there's a better opportunity with this game being played in maybe the middle of the season to have – Two undefeated teams, maybe. And then the spotlight's even bigger. Maybe you're getting big noon or college game day, something you just were never going to get if that game was played at the last game of the schedule.
2: When BYU and Utah were independent and Pac-12 respectively, I went back and looked at the channels and the kick times. Basically, it was always 8-15 ESPN 2. There was one network television game of Fox 6 p.m. Taysom. in 2016, yep. Kalani's first year with Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams. Then you go back to 2018, the last time BYU traveled to Salt Lake, that was on the final weekend, Thanksgiving weekend. And I think it gives you a little bit of a glimpse into how TV networks then, in a world when it was, you know, Utah was a Pac-12 South champion, they placed it at 8.15 Saturday night on FS1, and the game kicked off on Fox Business Channel. I, I mean, like, you could have it on late night, but I think there was also a willingness to say, hey, Let's stagger the rivalries in the Big 12 because, again, this league can't just show up and say, hey, we're the big, bad, mighty Big 12. There's no tradition in history in this league. None. And I think that's what makes it so fascinating. But at the same time, there's no established history because half of this league with 16 members, it's all new with the four corner schools and then the four newcomers, including BYU. So Arizona, Arizona State, even though they don't hold – anything close to BYU-Utah in terms of intensity, that game, to its credit, has maintained tradition by being on the final week of the season, and they have better weather in Arizona at the final week of the year. I'm not trying to make excuses for the Big 12, but you have to kind of get creative to find ways to get a big marquee television event. I kind of point to BYU-Utah being like what Oklahoma-Oklahoma State was this past year. Traditional rivalry on rivalry week most years, it got moved up last season to, I think, November 4th. Yep. Bedlam. Oklahoma State hosted Oklahoma. It got a one thirty p.m. ABC game, nationally televised. Oklahoma State won. It had a lot of conversation in a the college football. I think that's where the Big 12 is thinking here. And Brett Yormark has told us so many times, I like storytelling. I'm about additive. You know, like, it's <laughs> aspirational. Uh, you know, he, he wants the story to be told. And what better way... To tell the story of the best rivalry than to have two weeks of BYU Utah talk to get the juices flowing. Now, for fans listening, they're like, oh no, I gotta hear my Ute fan uh, on social, Ute fan neighbor for two weeks. That might not be ideal. You might have to hear your Ute fan friends on social media for two weeks. That's not ideal. I get it. What's not ideal is I haven't liked Kalani's <laughs> football teams after a bye. That hasn't been ideal. That is true. If, if it's uh, TCU part two, a oh, little scary. But I, I'm, I'm just okay with it. And, you know, like BYU-Utah, I, I think also too, man. I point to the 2015 Vegas Bowl, and I bring that up because I remember there was a little bit of instant remorse by the bowl game saying, they, they acknowledged this to the media back then, they said that, did we make a make mistake getting such a regional game? Because historically, Utah and BYU has never captured a national audience. It used no. to be Channel 5. I know our bosses would love to air the game again, but it's those days are gone. It used to be on Channel 2 when it was at Utah. And it just never had network television games. So the Vegas Bowl, they picked that game up, and they're thinking, oh, did we make a mistake, regional game? But then they instantly see a sellout. They instantly see the intensity. It delivered a great television number. It was on, you know, ABC. I know Cougar fans, Cougar fans don't want to remember that game, and I, I don't really want to remember it either. But when people learn about this game, they're all in. They're like, that game is awesome. It lives up to its billing. And I think that's what the Big 12 is going for here because on that final week of rivalries, Fox and ESPN are going to cater to Michigan, Ohio State, Texas, Texas A&M, Iron Auburn, Bowl, Auburn yeah. Alabama, now USC, Notre Dame, Florida, Florida State. Tex- uh, Washington, Oregon. It's just kind of what it is. And it might be a case of waving the white flag, and that might be the deal here. That's but fine. But you know what? I'm okay with BYU and Utah moving up because, you know what? Utah ruined the history of this, the tradition of this game by being on the final week by saying, we don't want to play it. Yep. We're going to pause. We're not going to fight for it when we're in the Pac-12 to play it on the final week. So, you know what? Tradition's out the gun. Don't, don't clutch the pearls of tradition when it didn't matter the past, you know, 10-plus years. Your mark wants a younger, hipper league. And, look, college students today, do they remember the days of BYU-Utah squaring off on the final week of the season? Probably not. No. They they don't remember that. So, like, it's a new era. And, look, it doesn't have to be this way forever. But for one year, let's see how it goes. The thing that I also like, too, about
3: the the game placement, and I'm actually okay with it being here going forward. I, I might even prefer it to be moved up a week or two. You mentioned the weather. Love to have weather not be a factor in that game. Hopefully, yeah. And then secondly, you have it earlier. There's a much better chance that there's a rematch down the road in the Big like 12 that. championship game than there would be if you played in the last week of the season. And, and that's kind of fun, too. Like, if, if you want to romanticize that game meaning something, you want them to both meet in the Big 12 championship, and I think there's a better path towards that. With that game not being played the last week of the season.
2: And I think, Matt, I, I think that it's just it's great that BYU Utah does mean something again. Because you think about the last time BYU played Utah, it was 2021. Huge win for BYU. But really that season you go, Utah went to a Rose Bowl still. Utah looked at that game and said, you know what, we lost, sure. But now we played Cam rising and that game really didn't mean much. It and now it does. No matter what. Whether whether it's a loss for BYU, a win for for BYU, like it's, it t- carries significance again in this state. No matter when it's played, that game's always going to live up to its billing. It's always going to be a must-see event. It's the biggest sporting event in this state. It's bigger than the Jazz. It is a huge deal. BYU and Utah locking up, and it's going to be on a Big 12 stage. Sign me up. The television networks, i got to imagine, they're going to be thrilled to have that game. And, look, if it can get Big Noon Kickoff or ABC – even better because this game has never taken on the national stage. I want it to because anyone that learns about this thing, the intensity, the hatred, it is off the charts good. And and I just think that it's it's kind of a sleeping giant in terms of what it can be as far as the the intensity yeah. of this game. People say the Iron Bowl, like, give me a break. Like the Iron Bowl is amazing on field product, sure. But these two fan bases, BYU and Utah, there is nothing like it. When you have religion versus state, like you don't get that anywhere else. Like the, No other rivalry can deliver it the way that BYU-Utah does. It's going to be off the charts good. I can't wait. Let's take a break. On the other side, a few more reactions, Mitch, to the
3: release of the Big 12 football schedule, a few more things you liked and disliked, me as well, and then don't go anywhere. Stay in your cars. Keep Keep the dial tuned. Jim or Fredette coming your way in about 10 minutes. All right. Let's keep bringing in some BYU football reactions. The schedule came out earlier in the week. We now know who they're playing, when they're playing, on what dates. Here was a takeaway I had, Mitch, a positive one. I think this is one of the most fan- friendly schedules of all time. Like this is a fan's Hmm. dream outside of the opening three weeks. How so? Because you have great home games against some of the best teams in the league. You host Kansas state, Arizona, Oklahoma state, and Kansas. Those are going to be teams in the top six of the preseason poll period. End of story. And to get them at home, you've got a great home slate of big 12 football. Last year was not a good home slate of big 12 football. Yeah, you got Oklahoma, sure, but you, then you, you had to deal with Iowa State. And Look, Iowa State, no disrespect they, to them. They, spank, BYU. they spanked BYU. No disrespect to them, but that doesn't hit the same as Kansas State yeah, or an Oklahoma State, especially with the added storyline of the overtime loss last sure. year. And then, speaking of the fan angle, because I know a lot of fans are loving this, you get a trip to Orlando if you want at the end of October. That is just prime South Florida season. So you got a little Disney trip to, to South Florida. And then you got the bye, too. So it's like you could prolong that trip. And then Arizona State in November. Like, there are great home games. There are great road games at the end of the year in conference schedule. It is just – it's a fan's treat because I know you and I feel the same way as, as a lot of BoU fans. You look at the schedule and you want to know what road games do I want to go to. How am I going to make this work? You got great road games, UCF, Arizona State, uh, I would not put Wyoming in the great road game category. But even SMU, you go down to Dallas in early September, that's going to be hot. But I just thought the schedule from a just when the games are scheduled, what dates they're on for conference play in particular, I
2: really liked that. It's a fun, entertaining schedule, and it's you know one of the best schedules I think I've ever seen from BYU. Whoa, I, don't go that far. Oh, yeah. The, the non-conference me? schedule is poop. No, but, like, you... It's garbage. Like to play. Two road games against
3: I'm mediocre saying, teams I'm in Southern like Illinois.
2: These these games, like, Kansas State, Baylor, Arizona, Oklahoma State, UCF, just reel off the names, like, that's just entertaining football. And, yes. And it feels like, you know, you, there's an argument that BYU could win any of these games. And I think that's the, the, the excitement and the joy about being in the Big 12. And I know there's so much uncertainty with college football and the future and where does the Big 12 sit, but at the end of the day, it's just you know what, this Big 12 is going to be so much fun and entertaining and everyone feels like they've got a path and they feel like they can be the juggernaut one day. And I just think that makes it so much fun that it's a league that everyone is looking to reinvent themselves. And for BYU, you just hope that they can kind of catch lightning in a bottle and become something far greater than any of us expect right now. Because Exactly, because right now... I mean, it's going to be tough, Matt. I mean, this is a team that's got to answer a lot of questions in, in spring ball, which starts up February 29th. So at the end of this month, we're going to start getting those answers potentially on this BYU football team. But it's a tough schedule. And and I just think that, you know, BYU has made some changes with the offensive line coach, the tight end coach. Was that enough, though? Because uh, that team at times, both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, it did not look good. And the brand of BYU football at times, I felt, took a hit with how poorly they played. But the fact that they still battled and competed in those final two weeks of the season, this is a resilient group. And I I want to think that, that all the retention they brought, that is a motivating force in these winter conditioning. And now you see the layout of the schedule and go, like, there's so much there in front of you. And look, because look, the thing about this league, too, is that Arizona – was awesome this past year, but so many times in this league and these type of programs, they'll be, you know, eleven wins one year and then they dip to four wins. We yep. saw with TCU last season. Yep. So Baylor. anything can happen. And you know, and on the flip side, a team that's predicted low, like Oklahoma State last year, could go play for the Big Twelve title. So anything's in front of BYU, but they've got to be a, a lot better than uh, anything we saw last year if they want to get back to the postseason and And be a team that's maybe in that Big 12 championship race.
3: Yeah, and I love the matchups, and I'm I'm really looking forward to a lot of these home games because the brands, the names, they're great. It's just a tough draw for BYU. You have a really hard scheduling Big 12 play. You're trying to get back to bowl eligibility. It's tough with those names. We got to take a break. On the other side, Jimmer Fredette, the Olympian, yes, heading to Paris. We'll break down that and a lot of BYU basketball. With one of the best ever, do it at BYU. Stay with us.
0: It's Cougar Sports Saturday.
1: It's complete another touchdown.
0: Cougar Sports Saturday, Saturday. a presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Viamonte. On Utah's legacy, home of the Cougars, KSL News Radio, one hundred two point seven FM and eleven sixty AM.
2: It's a busy day for BYU basketball today. The BYU men in Morgantown, West Virginia, getting ready to take on West Virginia today. You'll hear that call at four o'clock. Uh, pre-game starts at three with Greg and Mark on the call out there in the country roads. But the BYU women are also in action today. 4 p.m. as well big 12 now on espn plus and one of the individuals that's going to be on the call he needs no introduction he's the great jimmer for debt jimmer welcome on into cougar sports saturday
4: hey what's going on guys thanks for having me on appreciate
2: you hopping on so you're going to be calling the game today with i believe dave mccann Kristen kozlowski how how'd this broadcasting career come to be
4: (laughs) yeah no it's, it's been fun i mean uh now I'm transitioning, you know, kind of out of uh, playing five-on-five basketball, you know, overseas and everything, and and I still love to be a part of the game. I love to talk basketball, and it's something that I felt like I would transition to at some point, so I felt like it was a good opportunity for me to be able to do that, and, you know, BYU, TV, ESPN Plus has been great to be able to uh, let me come on a few times, and uh, I'm excited to call a game with with uh, with Dave and, and Chris today, um, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun because, uh, you know, it's something that I haven't done before. So cut me a little slack if it's not great.
3: <laughs> <laughs> As you were doing your game prep for the game, uh, what stuck out about Lauren Gustin? She's just a, a dynamic basketball player. Men's or women, she's, you know, rising the record book. She's she's quite the player. What, what do you think of Lauren, Jimmer?
4: Yeah, she's she's awesome. I mean, obviously, she's an amazing rebounder, uh, great low-post presence, just has been such a solid force for for BYU uh, women's basketball for, for the last several years. And just someone who is a leader out there. Um, I think that, you know, if she has a good game and she's being aggressive and able to score the basketball, but also rebounding at a high cliff. It just makes their team so much more, uh, more difficult to guard. Um, and the other team can't get out and transition. And I think that's going to be key today. If she can get some second uh, points, uh, second chance points at the rim, it's going to limit West Virginia getting out and transition where they're really good. So, I think it's going to be a battle of contrasting styles here with uh, with low with low down down low, and then uh, you know with uh, West Virginia going fast paced.
2: Will we hear you on any, on any other calls, men's or women's, the rest of the season?
4: Uh, not sure yet. I haven't. I'm not scheduled. I, I have. I'm going to be with BYU men's basketball for the pregame postgame show. Cool. But um, nothing as of right now uh, for calling games except for this one. But, you know, there's, there's more to come, so we'll see.
3: Loved having you and, and hearing you on the pre- and post-game show. S- switching to men's hoops now. You, you One of the best point guards ever played at BYU, Dallin Hall, still young in his career. What have you seen from Dallin Hall this year and his improvement from a freshman to a sophomore?
4: Yeah, just more steady. Um, you know, he's continuing to get better every game. You know, playing against, going from the WCCU now, playing against the Big 12 competition every night, is an adjustment, right, especially at the point guard. And honestly, you know, he's one of the only ball handlers on the team. Uh, he's the guy that has the ball on his hand 90% of the time, and uh, that's what Coach wants, right, because he's the legitimate only real point guard that, that he's playing right now. So it's something that he has done a great job of getting better at. I thought last game against Texas, he, um, you know, he was great in the pick and roll, especially at the end of the game. And it wasn't always him making the basket or always him getting the assist, but he was making the right read, and then the team was being able to play off that. They were able to get easy buckets. Um, so he's he's progressing, getting better, and this type of uh, you know this type of play, you know, this early in his career is only going to continue to help him get better. And uh, you know, I'm excited for his future.
2: How much have you enjoyed Jimmer? Again, Jimmer Fredette on with us here on KSL News Radio. How much have you enjoyed? You know, seeing BYU sports, men's basketball, women's basketball, football, all, all these teams now on this Big 12 stage. I, I got to imagine, you know, when you were navigating the Mount West, it was a great league back then. I, I think people often forget that, those visits to Thomas and Mac in the pit. But just to see BYU sports on this stage in the Big 12, how much have you enjoyed that?
4: Oh, it's been great. It's super fun. I mean, they're on ESPN or ESPN Plus or whatever it is every single night. Uh, you could barely even find our games when we were playing. Uh, you know, unfortunately, on the mountain. And uh, so it's difficult. It's a much uh, bigger stage. um, And they're playing against, obviously, great competition each and every single night against big-time programs, right, blue blood-type programs. And uh, so it's going to be really fun to continue to watch them grow. And, uh, you know, they're only going to get better. It's the first year, you know, in all sports. You know, obviously, some of our sports are amazing. They win, like, cross-country and track and field, some of these, uh, you know, women's soccer uh, they're they're winning league the league already volleyball you know obviously we we've been really good at that for a long time so now you know basketball football we're going to continue to get better at and uh, catch up to our other sports and uh, it'll be fun to watch
2: Jimmer the uh, the predictive metrics like Ken Palm say this year's men's basketball team's got a higher uh, adjusted efficiency number than uh, than your team so would would say that this is maybe the best BYU team since uh, Ken Palm came to be in 1996. you agree with that? Is this is this BYU team, the men's squad, better than your team in 2011?
4: <laughs> I would never admit that. I would never Fair admit enough. that, right? Like that's, I'm, a, I'm a competitive person. I'm a competitive person, so that's not something that I uh, would ever admit. But what I will say is that this team is very, very good. They really are. And they have a chance to, to make the tournament and then do well in the tournament because they do have some great depth and they can shoot the three, and that is sometimes a blessing and sometimes a curse. Depends on the night, And uh, but they have a chance to, to, to do do great things in the NCAA tournament, um, but they have to finish out the league first, right? You can't let uh, some games slip. you gotta you got to take care of business, make sure you get a good seed, and then go from there, but they, uh, they're they a great team, and Coach Colt's done a great job putting these guys together.
3: Not to get too ahead of ourselves, Jimmer, but the NCAA tournament BYU projected as a five seed right now, as someone who has had great success in the tournament a sweet 16 appearance what does this team do that you think is translatable to an NCAA tournament run maybe from your time playing and going to the sweet 16
4: yeah i think you know i think defensively they're underrated i think they do a good job defensively i also think they rebound the ball pretty well and those things are super important in the NCAA tournament cuz it's going to slow down you're not going to play quite as fast all the time so it's important to be able to be able to guard on the the defensive end be able to rebound the ball and then like I said it's going to a big part of this is going to be how Dallin can navigate the last five minutes of the game right they're going to have to find uh, someone that can get them good shots at the last five minutes because that's where we've been winning and losing games Um, and that's what's going to happen in the NCAA tournament right so you have to find that right formula and I feel like it's Recently, they've been getting better and better at it. Um, but it's going to be put a lot on down just because he's going to have the ball in his hands. Um, so, that's going to be something to look for. And if he can navigate it really well, they're going to be very, very successful.
2: Jimmer Fredette's our guest for a few more moments here. Again, you can listen to Jimmer on the call. Uh, BYU women's basketball against West Virginia today on ESPN+. Plus. But before uh, we, we say goodbye, Jimmer, uh, we got to get an update. How's Olympic prep going uh, with the three-on-three team you noted earlier you're kind of pivoting away from five on five basketball, three on three. How's the preparation for for Paris and, and getting ready for the exciting summer
4: ahead? Yeah, so far so good. I mean, right now I'm getting prepared myself, just kind of mentally, physically getting back uh, into it. Uh, we uh, finished our our season in mid December, and now took a little time off, and now getting back into it. We have a uh, you know training camp coming up here and. In a couple of weeks and uh then it's you know kind of full go and super exciting like uh couldn't couldn't be more excited about the opportunity ahead and uh just looking forward to be able to compete and get better at this game because there's, there's a lot that i can get better at so i'm excited for the off season to really hone in on what i need to get better at and come back a better player when do you uh, go out to france
3: and are you taking the whole family the whole crew out there
4: yeah, they're gonna come. Everyone's gonna come. It's uh, you know, it's a once in a lifetime thing. So I feel like it's important to try to get everybody out there.
2: What's the the biggest change from from three on three and on five on five? Like yeah. mentally, the strategy. What's kind of been the maybe some of the biggest adjustments for you?
4: Yeah, yeah. There's there's multiple things. I mean, obviously uh, the obvious of half court and sh- shorter shot clock, all those different things. But then just a lot of different actions. And the one thing that you have to learn is you have to learn how to play all positions. You got to be Sometimes be a big guy, sometimes be a small guy. Uh, you got to guard uh, in the ball screen, both as a, as a as a small defender and also as a big guy, being able to switch, and, uh, guard post ups, and just learn all the little tricks that that go on to uh, with the three on three game. So it's definitely there's definitely a lot of little nuances that are different than five on five that you kind of pick up as you play, and then it's great. Uh, you know, it's great for development. And also, you have to be in really good shape for sure. It's a very continuous, fast-paced game, so you gotta you gotta be prepared for that. Was it Fran Fischella who introduced you to three on three? Yeah, Fran. Fran was the guy that uh, called me up and asked me to be a part of it. So it was awesome.
2: Yeah, I only bring that up because I was talking to him at Big Twelve Media Day in, in Kansas City. And he's like, I just knew Jimmer was going to be amazing at three on three. He's trying to get Tyler Haas in that in, in three on three eventually down the road too.
4: Yeah, he's trying, to, he's trying to take out all the BYU guys. And uh, so I'm uh, like, hey, we, we're going have to have to start, start having a finer speed or something, you know, <laughs> all our guys.
2: Well, Jimmer, <laughs> best of luck. We appreciate the time. I, I know KSL 5 TV is going to be out there in Paris, and I know they're, uh, everyone's excited and going to be cheering for you and looking forward to your call today. Uh, best of luck on the call for BYU women's basketball against West Virginia.
4: Thanks, guys. Always fun to be on. So we'll talk to you soon.
2: That's Jimmer Fredette, the, the great BYU legend, Jimmer Fredette, uh, here on KSL News Radio. Taking a break, we'll talk some BYU basketball as they get ready for West Virginia and also football season ticket prices. We'll give you an update there as well. It's Cougar Sports Saturday here on KSL. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday. Awesome to catch up with Jimmer Fredette. Pretty cool that he's getting into broadcasting. Totally. It, it reminds me of uh, when Steve Young was in the booth. Do you remember what game? I think it was his debut was with, with Craig Bowlerjack. No, he was with Jay Monson. Oh yeah. It was it was 1984 Hawaii game. He's on the call for that one. Everyone remembers you know Kyle Morrell making the leap, the late great Kyle Morrell. But Steve Young's on, wow. on, the, on the call for that because that was in the time when. You know, he was going to go to the Spring League, USFL. I'm trying to think of other great ex-BYU players that have been, gone into broadcasting. Todd Christensen. Yep, Todd Christensen. Comes to mind. Steve Young, of course. He was recently with ESPN. Trevor Maddich. Yeah, Trevor Maddich. Good pull. He's, he's been holding it down on ESPN College Football. Maybe Jimmer now adds to the broadcasting career. Mark Durant. We love Mark Durant. We love Mark Durant. Jimmer, I thought one of
3: his best points in the interview, talking BYU hoops, is Dallin Hall in the last five minutes. Yeah, That is critical. He was great against Texas, as Jimmer pointed out. He's got to be great in these close games. They're probably going to have another close game tonight against West Virginia. And can Dallin Hall make the right play? I loved how he pointed out it's not always him scoring or him getting an assist. It's getting things going the right way and to, he- to hear that from Jim or someone who did things the right way a lot during his time at BYU. I thought that was a good observation from him.
2: There's no way to prove this because it's just all hypothetical, but you kind of wonder what a Jim or Fredette, Jackson, Emery, Charles, Abouo, Brandon Davies team would have looked like in the big 12, you know, because the mountain West was great that, that time Kawhi Leonard, They had, what, Trayvon Willis at at UNLV, Wink Adams, I think he was there, New Mexico, uh, Darrington Hobson. But this Big 12, man, it's it's just a gauntlet every single night in this league, and BYU basketball is going to experience it today against West Virginia, who's only an eight-win team, yet West Virginia's got wins over Texas, Kansas, Cincinnati. It's a good ball club, and this league is just so deep. It would have been so cool to see Jimmer take on a... Uh, a, a stage like this one in the Big 12, but in in some weird way, I look back on that when he mentioned the days of the Mountain. It almost seemed like that added to his his following. Like it was so hard to find a Jimmer Fredette game. I remember like listening to the games on KSL radio. That was the key. That was the ticket for BYU B- 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 fans. You did have back the Mountain in- that year. Well, I, of course, had the mountain like I I did, but many Cougar fans did not. Uh, it was hard, like especially for the who were they with? Were they with Dish Network? They were with DirecTV. It was like it was a Comcast deal. They were on Comcast okay. and then they got the DirecTV and I was so relieved. The 2006 season, I did not have the mountain and I was just I was hitting up like local Iggy's like, I need to watch this game. <laughs> Flip it over to the mountain, please. Uh, but yeah, it's just we've come a long way our TV viewing and radio listening experiences since the days of Jimmer. But it's always cool to catch up with him because uh, just one of the most likable
3: BYU guys around. We'll put that podcast, if it's not already, up on our podcast feed. It's already there. Uh, Producer Nate is Johnny on the spot with getting that stuff up. So if you don't subscribe to Cougar Sports Saturday, you're missing out. A lot of great content, a lot of great interviews there. I will say this, too, as we turn the page to uh, other things. God bless his wife for taking his kids to Paris. I don't even like to take my kids into another time zone, let alone fly over an ocean. I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in France. That's a big that, yeah. that's a big ask. You're not renting minivans. There's not grid systems. It's the time is way different. Like that is a big ask. So I Whitney Jimmer's wife, I wish you all the best and good luck out there. Matt, you just revealed you need to be
2: Jimmer's tour guide. You need hey, to go to France, Jimmer.
3: If you need someone to translate for you yes. and get you around, I know the metro systems. I know the great desserts. Get a little au chocola on your way to practice, which you probably don't want to do if you need to be in good condition. I can do it all, Jimmer.
2: You got my number, baby. <laughs> we we need to we, we need, need to go. You, you need to go, man. KSL five TV. You need to go with Sam Farnsworth, camera Vifanua, Alex Cabrero. You need to go. Yes. you need to be part of that. Just kind of be the 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 translator.
3: I'll be the the what are those people that like negotiate between countries? I'll be like a diplomat, some uh, <laughs> intermediary, French, <and> Yes,
2: <laughs> that's what you okay, Your summer's occupied. You need to that tell the wife. Great. Sorry, I'm going to be gone for uh, gone for a month. Going to be showing around Jimmer. Oh, that would be a lot of fun, though. What would be – let me ask you this. Jimmer, and rightfully so, as he should, he's going to defend his team. Do you think this year's BYU team is better than that group? No, I don't. Because
3: as we've seen through Big 12 play, this team might collectively shoot the three ball better, and they might rebound the ball a little better, and they might defend a little better. But you know what they don't do better? and it's one of the biggest things, they don't have a go-to guy at the end of games that can win you games. And that that's the primary reason why they lost to Baylor, why they yep. lost to Cincinnati, and they're going to lose some more games because in these late-game situations, now, I, I am optimistic with Foose coming back that he could maybe fill that need because he can get you buckets in the low post. That BYU team, though, never had a problem in late-game situations. You knew where it was going, and they often delivered. Not always, but when you know, okay, when we need something, we're going to run this Jimmer Fredette, Noah Hartzluck, Brandon Davies, pick and roll, get him, you know, he can create, spread out. This BYU team doesn't have that. And so, analytically, this team is much better than Jimmer's in a lot of ways, but they don't have a superstar go-to player. And this isn't football basketball there's only five guys on the court man
2: and one dominant great player can be the difference between a lot of wins and losses i'm with you i, I still believe in that superstar model like i i think that's kind of shifted away definitely in the nba where it used to be just you got to get the big three to to go win a title like that that's that's moved on you can you can get very far in the nba by being you can't a three get point... very far without having a top 10 player right though, though. you still got to have that star and yep. i think that even in college basketball where you look at a team like Purdue, Zach Eady, the the center. Now I don't ever believe in Purdue because they lost to a sixteenth <laughs> seed, but they do look really good this year, and they've got star power. They, they've got the the key players down the stretch. Uh, it's 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 very interesting to think about because I just don't think anyone mentally wraps their mind around this year's BYU team being in the same stratosphere as Jimmer's squad, but the metrics, the analytics for this entire year, even before any. Ball was tipped. The metrics loved how BYU constructed its roster. Ken Palm had them as a top forty team when most people thought coming in the year, this is going to be lucky to be a top one hundred team. Myself so, included. So yeah. I, I think that it's an interesting conversation, and I feel like what's special too about this year and years to come is that every night it's just wins like Iowa State would have defined a season for Jimmer Fredette's crew because those opportunities were few and far between. In the Big 12, you just get a you know top 50 team every single night, and hopefully that doesn't get taken for granted or, or lost on Cougar fans how big really any win in the Big 12 is. I know that West Virginia today is not anything glamorous in terms of their metrics and their record, but this is a healthy West Virginia team, and, and coming up here after the break, we'll have a conversation we had with Cody Fieger. This will be a tall order for BYU because the Mountaineers are good at home; they've got their full collection of personnel. BYU better be on point today, and it's long distance travel, so it's going to be a tough test today. 4 p.m. against West Virginia.
3: They'll have to make a lot of threes. I, I feel like because they do lack that Jimmer Fredette type. Some of these road venues, they just got to scorch it if they're going to win these games. And they, look, they've won games on the road, not like that. Like UCF was kind of a, a grinded out type of game, but it's going to be a big one. We'll break this one down much more, including with Cody Fieger, on the other side, we'll dive into this BYU basketball program. Stay with us.
0: It's Cougar Sports Saturday.
1: It's complete Another touchdown!
0: Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got yes! it again! BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte, on Utah's legacy home of the Cougars, KSL News Radio, one hundred two point seven FM and eleven sixty
2: AM. Welcome back into KSL News Radio, the legacy home of the Cougars, getting ready for BYU and West Virginia. And joining us now is Assistant Coach. Cody Fieger and coach before the season I remember talking to you about the Big 12 and in the first year and you brought up mental warfare. Has it been as mentally taxing as you thought it would be through the first month?
5: Yeah through the first month you know I, I would say the biggest thing is you just look at every game and you're like going through scouting reports with each team and you're like wow like you're just talking about each you know kid you're like well this kid's really good and then you get on to Houston you're like, "Well, this guard's really good, right? You just kind of go back and forth and you're like, there's no there's no break, there's no breath. And this week has kind of been a little breath just because we didn't have a game on Tuesday. But yeah, it's it, it's a battle, man. You you just you're like, man, you're just fighting for your life at all times. It feels like it's a battle every
3: single game and West Virginia's been playing better basketball. I'm curious from a game plan perspective, how much did you put in prior to getting into the season and how much tweaking and adjusting do you make on the fly as you watch the team preparing for the game
5: I would say each game you know kind of offensively we tweak a lot of different things that we're kind of looking for good thing about that is that we've gone against so many different changing defenses so our guys pretty much right now I have a good feel of what to look for but kind of our offensive game plan that changes a little bit with every single game we're playing with how we're how they guard ball screens, how they guard certain situations and where we're trying to take advantage. And then defensively, you know, we're we're kind of still at our our shell principles for the most part and we'll just do different things here and there, changing up our defense. There hasn't been too many things where we've kinda of added as the season's gone. Just with all right, where are these guys best? How can we take that away? which part of our shell principles do we need to be great at this game. Um, so we'll just make little adjustments here and there defensively, but we're just kind of sticking to the main main things. Has it been rewarding to
2: see the vision that you and Coach Pope and his staff had for you know, leaning into three-point shooting, but you know th- that offensive identity – uh, has worked and had success for this team to this point.
5: yeah for sure that's uh, been awesome. I mean come on our, our guys are playing so unselfish and playing so hard and playing for each other I mean that's that's what's really making making yeah. this offense go and it's been really rewarding to watch just our guys just battle battle night in night out and you know our three-point shooting has been really good and you know Texas is like we're not we don't want to give up any threes so we we're able to score to, at the rim at a really high rate. So it's just been really rewarding, and just seeing our guys battle and just just take this head on. Every single you know thing we talk about offensively and defensively, they're just like, all right, let's do it. That's how we're going to win this game. And you know, they take the mindset of a, of the coaching staff out there.
3: Speaking of un- unselfish, I think a lot of BYU fans, Cougar Nation, has really latched on to the unselfish play of Ali Khalifa. Did you guys have any idea he would be this good when you brought him in?
5: We knew he's going to be a really good player. I was lucky actually to see him play. I was at Utah Valley at the time, and he was 16 years old. I want to say, I uh, flew over to Australia and watched, you know, their their NBA Academy team play, and then I saw him again in Atlanta. But we knew he was really good. We, could, we knew he could really pass, but we're just like, all right, is all this other stuff going to translate? And we didn't know how great his defensive IQ is. You know, that's that's where that's where the thing. You're like, oh my gosh, you're like. We were a little worried about this and that, and we we're like, wow, his IQ makes up for everything on the floor, both offensively and defensively." So we weren't 100% sure exactly where it was going to translate, but man, he's he's been incredible. And like you said, him being so unselfish, and like him and Dallin Hall are those those lead guys making those plays for each other and and their teammates, and it's it's a lot of fun to watch.
2: Am, am I wrong in in thinking Ali's Passing ability has really rubbed off on, on Foose and, and, and just the big man. It just feels like Foose, as he's worked his way back from the hamstring, that passing ability is kind of wearing off on him a little
5: bit. No question. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, that's exactly what we kind of said it as a staff. We're like, okay, now watch. Foose is going to be able to start making these passes. Atiki's going to be able to start making these passes. And it, we're seeing it more and more every day in practice. So that's just been a huge part for their development. I mean, if we would just, you know, put on a Jokic game and have Foose and Atiki watch that, they would get absolutely nothing out of it. But having big fellow right here and being able to see him do what he does, it's given our guys a ton of confidence. On the point of Foose, how critical
3: is it going forward, do you think, to have him back playing at the level they did against Texas where there's a legitimate low post presence that maybe you hadn't had prior to his injury?
5: Yeah, uh, I mean it's huge, right? I mean, being able to trust something that we can go inside and he's gonna go has a chance to go get a basket. Having him have his have his confidence back right now has just been it's been huge. You know, our whole team, our whole coaching staff believes that we throw him the ball, he's gonna make a great play down there. Um, and if they bring two guys to him, he's able to pass that thing out. And yeah, we wish we would have had this foos, you know, obviously all year long, um, just with his confidence like he was the first six seven games of the year. Do you feel like this
2: team's anywhere close to reaching its peak, or, or the best product it can possibly be, or is it still is that still to be to be out there? Yeah, I think that's still to be out
5: there. You know, I I feel like when we played in Europe this year, we're like, okay, we got a chance to be pretty good, and I don't feel like we're we're close to that peak yet. Like, I think our team's still gelling and still kind of figure out this league a little bit. And and I think when we get into the end of February, early March, I think we'll be in a really good spot.
3: feels like Richie Saunders has taken his game to another level in conference play. Take us behind the scenes a little bit on his illness prior to the Texas game and then how he was able to have a little flu game moment. Hits that back-breaking three-pointer. He's been awesome in conference play.
5: Yeah, I mean, Richie is a definition of relentless. Like, that dude is all day, every day. Whatever you ask of him, he's going to do that to the best ability. Like, Richie... If you make this play you're going to be an all-league guy and he will do it to the best of his ability every single time you know he wants to shoot every morning he wants to work on let's say his closeouts have have not been great well he wants to spend every single moment after practice working on his closeouts but having him and just the energy he brings and 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 everything he does for this team has just been it's the, you know there's nothing compares to it what what he does for this team and this program right now
2: you bring up relentless I, I always think of You know, Mark Pope's introductory press conference was saying that. And and I always, for some reason, go to Pope probably staying up till 2 or 3 in the morning. Is that still a thing for you guys where you're – like these Big 12 scattering reports, i got to imagine, are are difficult and time-consuming? What's kind of the day in the life as a Big 12 assistant coach for you?
5: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's very similar to – Yeah, what it's always been because you want to win every game and you're going to turn every stone to have that possibility and chance. And, yeah, it's very similar to WCC. And, you know, we want to win every game. We want to make Cougar Nation proud and we want to win. And
2: just to follow up on that, how – meaningful does it going into february where games matter so much i mean last year was kind of an understanding of it's a little bit of a transition year but everything was so new coming together on short notice but you guys are in a spot where you got everything in front of you
5: yeah 100 percent like we're, we're three and four right now and we feel like there's plenty of opportunities for us to go take it right now for us to take as many as win, wins as we can we know it's going to be a stinking fight every single game which is Come on, man. There's nothing better than that. Our guys are all excited about it. As a staff, we can't – that's all we talk about is, like, man, we got everything right in front of us. Let's go play our best right now. Let's go play for each other. Let's keep so much joy in the gym right now because this should be so much fun for our team, our staff, our fans, everybody. We're really excited about this this next third of the season here. A few more moments with
3: Cody Fieger here, Cougar Sports Saturday, getting you ready for BOU in West Virginia. I think we all knew, you guys probably better than fans and anyone else, just how great this league has been for so long. But now that you've been in it for a while, you've made a couple trips on the road, like what are some things that maybe you didn't anticipate about this league that now that you're a part of it, you're like, wow, we weren't really ready for this or this has surprised us. What are a few of those takeaways from being in the Big 12 now?
5: I mean, we did so much research this past summer and the last year or so, just like Every little part of it, to tell you the truth. I guess the one thing that I was a little surprised with was how great the fans were at UCF. Like that stadium was absolutely packed, and that was such a great venue and so much fun. Obviously, we won, so that helped a little <laughs> bit. But I, I would say, yeah, we just, like I said, we kind of planned everything. We're like, all right, how are these teams playing? How are they guarding? How are they scoring offensively? We looked at every single possibility of what we thought could happen. And then we've played really good venues, right? BYU is. I'm on a storied program that's played a lot of great teams, you know, playing Gonzaga, St. Mary's, all that stuff every year. And I would say looking at the height and length of everybody, you know, we played at Houston four years ago. There's nothing really that was surprising. I guess what kind of caught me a little off guard, I guess, is that we play completely different than everybody else in the league. And I knew there was going to be some of that, but just how drastic the change is. And all these coaches that we're playing against, they're bringing it up to us. They're like, man, you guys just played different than everybody. And I guess there's the biggest kind of thing that I wasn't sure now. No other Big 12 teams shot 42 threes in a game or whatever. So (laughs) they can just try to bully you at the rim. So we don't don't have that.
2: It's a unique league, and it's in the next challenges facing a – an eight-win team in February, and you'd you'd say that on on the surface and say, well, that should be a weaker opponent, but this is a team that took down Kansas. They took down Cincinnati this week. Just some of your thoughts on West Virginia as they seem like they're now fully healthy.
5: Yeah, they've had some injuries off and on all year long. they got a really talented group, a really talented group, 1 through 15. These players have been highly recruited, and a lot of guys that we've recruited in the past, Kirk Chris is somebody we spent a ton of time recruiting, and, you know, Jesse Edwards, we try to get in the mix with him this past off season. They got some really talented players, and they're starting to f- kind of figure that out. You know, they had that Raekwon Ra- battle that was out for the first, you know, eight, nine games of the year because of transfer rules. But this is a heck of a team, and I think they're just hitting their stride right now. We, we got to come ready to go to this game.
2: Real quick, just last thing for you, Coach, logistically, will you guys travel back to Provo after Morgantown, or are you just going to go straight to Oklahoma afterwards?
5: Great question. I just found that out today that we're staying there. We're staying there. We're gonna, uh, I think, stay in West Virginia until Sunday afternoon. Then we're traveling to Oklahoma. So I think we got two trips like this, this this year. We're staying with Kansas, Kansas State. They're right there, and then this trip we're gonna we're gonna stay out there in a five game swing. So we gotta we gotta bring a couple outfits this trip. <laughs>
2: well, best of luck, coach, and uh, looking forward to the
5: game. And uh, we'll catch up down the road. Awesome. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. They better have their luggage,
2: this BYU team, because they are going to be on the road a lot over the next few days. BYU, West Virginia, here on KSL, coming up at 4 o'clock. Appreciate Cody Fieger spending some time with us. Taking a break, we'll break down this game in greater detail and also talk some BYU football as well. It's Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sports. We're enjoying some Big
3: 12 hoops right now. The Longhorns are on the road against TCU. Big slate of Big 12 basketball today. BYU in the mix, of course, with their game against West Virginia. Also in the Big 12, Mitch. A top 10 showdown coming up in less than an hour. Houston and Kansas. You got Cincy and Texas Tech later tonight. Iowa State, Baylor, just great games all across the board in Big 12 play.
2: Just another day in the Big 12. It's always good times in the Big 12 basketball. This has been a fun league. It's interesting to see the growing narrative, though, around – we were talking about this in one of the breaks. Some of the national writers and, and talking heads in college basketball saying the Big 12 game the system this year, and that's why they're as good as they are. I'm thinking this might just be a case of they can't handle that east coast basketball is not as important as the midwest and the west now yeah uh,
3: big big 12 is really good like aren't we all trying to gain the
2: system <laughs> looking for an extra tax break here and there like that's, I the, name, that's
3: the name of the game
2: and i will game say too, to your favor i i will say though i do think that the big 12 doesn't have a team right now that's good enough to cut down the nets and win it all but i think that houston could be that team and Houston wins today at, at Fog Allen Fieldhouse, I don't look at Kansas as a real Final Four threat this year right now because they're so thin on their roster. I mean, they're logging 37, 38 minutes for their starters. They have no depth. They're they, they a six-man rotation. But Fog Allen is such a tough venue to win at. That'd be huge for Houston. But I, I just love watching these games every single week, and BYU West Virginia should be a good one coming up today, 4 o'clock tip. Want to get to some football talk, though, before we break down more BYU hoops coming up around hour number three. We'll have Sam Farnsworth joining us uh, in the third hour and talk some BYU basketball and football as well. BYU football season ticket prices are out. And once again, Matt, some slight price increases again for fans.
3: Brutal. It's just brutal for the fans because, and this is what bothers me the most, The price is going up, but you're not getting anything in return. You're just getting an opportunity to go to the games. And and this has been kind of a hot social media topic. You can't bring in your own seat anymore. Some people celebrating it. Other people like me hating it because sitting on those bench seats, brutal. I know our producer is all for it. Look, you have to pass a check to get the seat in. At least you had to. If they needed tighter restrictions, sure. But I hate that everything is becoming about money. Because to yeah. me, the seat increase, more revenue. You have to rent seats now if you want to have one on a bench through BYU. And it's by the way, it's not cheap. I've I've bought many stadium chairs in my day. For what it would cost you for a season's worth, I could have bought six of those seats from Costco, and I would never have to pay again. And so everything is about money, and my biggest problem with that is that's fine. If you want to charge fans more, that's fine. Give them more. Like to me, a good example of this is movie ticket prices have gone up over time, but I feel like you've gotten more from going to the theater. You've got nicer seats. You've got the recliner. Now you can order snacks to your seat. I did that last night. It was great. Popcorn is delivered to me. Okay. I'll pay a little bit more because I'm getting more, but with these seat increases, you're getting nothing. Nothing more. You're just maybe a little bit better home schedule, and this is a great home schedule. So I guess you are getting a little more value that way in terms of brands coming to Provo. But I want to see if you're going to charge fans more, make Give them value in another way. Like, maybe have some open practices in spring football. Maybe have some exclusive opportunities for people who buy season tickets. Some exclusive gear that you could only buy if you could get a season ticket. I just feel like they're just saying, hey, we're just going to charge more because we can, because we're in the Big 12. And that's kind of frustrating.
2: I'm with you there. And I think that, you know, for for the record, you can see a full breakdown of the pricing on kslsports.com. The end zone seats, they did remain the same. $150 for the economy end zone. $250 Two fifty for preferred in zone, three hundred dollars for prime in zone. The increases range from about twenty five dollars to one thousand. That's for the uh, premium east side seats. I would even argue too in terms of return on investment, Matt. How about a, a greater commitment to where you know that these money, these funds, fans are being told, hey, this price increase should going to go back to nil, it's going to go back to the players. I, I mean, like, I don't think there, I think there's still a gray area where fans would be like, I'm not into. I don't I feel some like some would but, be against but it. I, I do hate this world where the, the nine to five uh, worker has to go pay for a national championship team. Like no, that that's what other is the NBA saying, Hey, you got to go buy the next great free agent for the jazz to win the title. Like it's, <laughs> it's totally. really dumb, but there's like a little bit of transparency where, you know, the fans are getting told BYU still going to be a place that probably does more with less, even though you're in the big 12. Yeah. You're still going to increase the prices. I, I will say the price increases are still pretty tame compared to some other Big 12 schools, but it's only going to go up. It's just it's, it's just what it is. Yeah. And sports in general, Matt – How just, about some renovations on the stadium? How about some yeah. – hey, if we're going
3: to start charging more on the sidelines, they need to all be seats so that I'm getting a,
2: a decent seat if I'm going to pay for it. So I was asking about the, the chair back thing and because I'll admit, full disclosure, I mean, we're, we're in the press box, so I don't – I'm not yeah. in the uh, the – on the front lines anyway but you have been before I have been and but talking to, obviously know a lot of people that get season tickets one of the common issues though and Nate would know better than any of us but Sounds like people would bring in some just massive chairs that just take up tons. That's on BYU. That's not on the fans. But I think that's one of the issues as to why they're making this change. Say it's all no. The change has nothing to do with that. The change
3: has to do everything with money. You think so? Yes, because if they wanted to, they could do what TSA does with check ons. Have a little square. You come up. You dump it in. If it doesn't fit, you don't get to bring it in. That's. That's fair. It's money, man. It's 100% money. It has nothing to do with keeping <laughs> Nate's leg room in the end zones. It has nothing to do with that.
2: Because I'd heard that some people were, you know, bringing in just these couch-sized- Good for them. I'm that guy, too. If I could bring in a two-liter soda to the movie, are you bringing in contraband? Were you bringing in Mountain Dews back in the I day have, to BYU football games? Yeah,
3: I, in my teenage years, I would br- I brought in a Cafe Rio burrito
2: wow. <laughs> to a movie. Okay. so Well, I can get some. Yeah. Not oh, a, into a game? Yeah, what's the craziest thing you took into a BYU football game? You yeah, a, two, a two-liter two about do. Yeah. yeah, you? Yeah, I, I'd say do. Uh, I mean, you
3: could get candy in. I mean, you could put candy in eight different pockets and go into a game. <laughs> so, to me, to me, it's all money. Because if they wanted to police that, because... Bear. It wasn't a free-for-all last year. There was a, a certain specification That the seat had to be in, in order to bring it in. If BYU didn't police that, that's not on the fans who
2: were able to break the rules. Where do you think the money goes? You ever wonder? Like, what does it... Does it go back to Kalani Satake's team? Or does it go to... Yeah, I think it goes back to the athletic department
3: for renovations across all... all, It it probably goes to other
2: sporting groups that don't run in the black. Uh, I, I, I only ask that because, I mean... Probably stay within the athletic department, sure. And ticket prices, Tom Holmes talked about in the past, that tickets are a big piece to, to revenue streams. And it, it's it's just kind of the cost of being in a power league, you could say. But I, to, to your point, I do think that there needs to be some better amenities at LaFelleter Stadium. It's, it's showing its age yep, quite a bit, I totally. feel like. Now, I will argue, we went to some stadiums last year, where I think the experience at BYU is better than Arkansas and Texas. Yes. like Especially from our perspective in the media, where there were some dated stadiums, man, and I thought Texas was going to be just money galore. Yep. It was like, uh, there's like a bunch of wires dangling over my <laughs> head. Do I have to clip one of them? I don't know. But So, BYU is better than most, but still, I think there, there needs to be some updates. and Elevate that experience if you are going to pay higher prices. we got to take a break, though. Top five coming up next here on Cougar Sports Saturday.
0: It's Cougar Sports Saturday. It's complete. Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday, a presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte, on Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, one hundred two point seven FM and eleven sixty AM.
3: all right welcome back before we turn the page to the top five which we love producer nate is in the studio now just quickly chime in on the the price increase the the seat situation Be good to get your perspective you've been a long time season ticket holder what were your thoughts this week
6: yeah the price increase i think was expected it wasn't I mean, I don't feel too bad about that, honestly. Just it wasn't because...
3: bad. It's not the amount that it went up that's the issue. It's that it's every year. Yeah. It's just going up yeah. and up and up, and we're getting nothing.
6: Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And as far as the seat goes, I'm super, I'm very much in favor of it. it Boo! Wasn't, no, it wasn't like the width of the seat. It was the fact that the seats were going so far back. Leaning and back. I, oh yeah, and so they're up in my knees, and I've got to like make sure my legs are like wide open, and they're in my lap. It's not
3: my fault. You're what? Are you over six feet? I'm six three. I'm yeah. sorry. That's <laughs> tough. Sometimes in tight situations, it's harder to be tall. I guess so. I guess
0: so. All
3: right. Let's get to it.
0: The Cougar Sports Saturday Top 5, sponsored by Economics Partners. Mitch and Matt clash in a weekly battle of BYU sports knowledge. Here's the top five.
2: Big thanks to Economic Partners, as always, for sponsoring the top five. Go to econpartners.com. Cougar fans, they can, providing coverage, econpartners.com. They're Cougar fans, so you got to support them. Bringing in producer Nate Slack, you follow him on X, Nate Slack 5. Every week he moderates this top five. It's a list that either could be opinion-based, factual, stat-based. Matt and I have to guess Nate's list. So, Nate, what is on deck this week on your top five list?
6: Well, it's been a little while since BOE last played. Didn't have a game on Tuesday. So, going back to the game last week against Texas, BOE finished with seven blocks, and that was tying a season-high uh, seven blocks. And it got me thinking about the best shot blockers in BYU basketball history. Mm. So, for today's top five, you guys have to name the five players with the most blocks per game in their BYU career. Okay. It's a career list. It's a career list. Yep. And we're going to be starting with Mitch. Now, Mitch, you got swept 5 0 to <laughs> Matt last time. So, I did. Uh, you got to bounce back.
2: I think I'm gonna be one zero to start here, Sean Bradley. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yep. was gonna say Sean
6: Bradley number one on the list. We saw him last week at the Texas game, but he only played in 34 games, but he did he did have 177 blocks, good for 5.21 per game.
2: That was so cool, by the way. You bring up him being at the arena last week. Mark Pope shared a story about how Sean Bradley wrote a seven page letter to Mark. When he was playing at Washington and basically just wrote it because he was a fellow LDS big man navigating basketball. And Sean Bradley was on a mission at the time. Just really cool. And to see Sean Bradley get kind of emotional to see his pictures and his name being honored at the Marriott Center again, awesome. You know, that just, because that whole situation that he experienced a couple of years back in St. George was just almost, it's tra- just really tragic. And to just see him there back at the Marriott Center, so awesome. And, he only played one year at BYU, but uh, man, he he rewrote the record books for sure with his ability to block shots. And
3: I love too, just to add on Sean, I, I love how Coach Pope in this basketball program has completely embraced the alumni perspective. I can't well, think, think I can't think of a better program in BYU athletics right now than hoops in terms of welcome them in, show them on the video board, let fans recognize their love for them as w- when they were at BYU. It was a great moment. And just to
2: add on that too, I mean, Mark Pope has had Roger Reed come through the halls. I mean, there was a time when Roger Reed would never come through the halls anymore, and he's always, you know, around BYU basketball, and, you know, Mark Pope's done a really good job of, of bringing that alumni to feel part of this BYU basketball program, and, you know, football does a good job. You always see former players at at practices, too, but it's, it's been really fun with basketball, that's for sure. I'll go with Hoffa Arugio. Mmm. Not in
3: the top
6: 15.
2: Short-armed. Short it was one of his knocks as an NBA draft analysis. Short-armed. I remember watching his NBA combine. It was like his arms were the not t-rex. long. <laughs> yeah, he his was, was T-Rex <laughs> arms. How about, let's see, this is where it gets kind of tough. How about Keena Young? Uh,
3: KT.
6: Yeah. yeah, good guess. Not top 15 either. Oh, okay.
3: Trent Playstead. He
6: is top 15. He's number eight, but... We're doing top five.
2: So mm. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so again, shot blockers, career, top five shot blockers in BYU basketball history. Yep. We got Sean Bradley. Let me see here. How about Matt Harms? Mm. Wow. Good that guess, was a but good no, poll. he's
6: he's also not top fifteen. How so about kinda of surprising?
3: How about Kresmir Kosich? Mm. Top fifteen. Buzzers
2: <laughs> left and right. <laughs> Dave's getting a lot of work for that this is buzzer. One of
3: the, this is one of the weeks when you at home can rest assured that we really aren't uh, using the internet to <laughs> help us on this list. I'm
2: surprised on Harms. I thought Harms for sure he was WCC Defensive Player of the Year, but guess not. Was How, he even top 10?
3: Not top 15. What?
2: How about yes. Lee Kumard?
6: <laughs>
2: he is number
6: 15. So, <laughs> number 15. But yeah. How about Eric Mika?
3: There we go. Nice. Okay. Number
6: five, Eric Mika. 67 games played. He had 87 blocks, so good for a 1.3 average. N-
3: not bad, honestly. 1.3. Okay, I'm back in it. I have no idea whose turn it is after that barrage of yeah. buzzers.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
6: Who is it, Nate? Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Let's go Let's go with Matt, just to make it fun.
3: Oh, okay.
2: boy. How convenient. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs>
3: <laughs> let's try Mr. Triple Double himself, Kyle Collinsworth. Hmm. Not a part of the triple-doubles, huh? Nope. (laughs) Not top 15. Jeff Chapman.
6: (laughs) He is number 13.
3: Michael Smith. (laughs) Not
6: top
2: 15. (laughs) Let's go with (sighs) Gary Trost. (laughs) Greg Kite. Oh, Oh, let's go.
6: Greg Kite, number two on the list. 112 games played. 208 blocks, good Jeez. for a 1.86 average. This is crazy because he's number two, and the difference between number one, Sean Bradley, and number two, Greg Kite, is almost four blocks a game.
2: Holy smokes! Crazy. Sean Bradley was dominant, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I mean, I think he had what, 18 blocks against Eastern Kentucky? It was an NCAA record, I think. <laughs> Or wasn't am, am I wrong on that? I, th- I think it that was. That sounds I'd ridiculous. To, I, I Eighteen check. blocks. It's it's
6: got to be something like it that because he only played freaky. in thirty seven or thirty four games. Look that up right so, now. Wait, I can't. Yeah, yeah. Don't be yeah. looking that up. <laughs> don't be looking that up.
2: We'll look I, it up. I after. can look it up though. Okay. How about? trying to think here. I feel like we're missing some guys.
6: <sighs> hmm.
2: <laughs> uh, how about? If, do you guys want to? you guys Jared watch? Jensen? Mm. No, he was short armed too. How about Brandon Davies? Ooh. Okay, hold on. How about Noah Hartsock? Oh Here we go. man, yes. Noah yes. Hartsock, number yes. four
6: on the list. One hundred thirty-four games, one hundred seventy-seven blocks. Good for one point. You
2: just had to, to say that. Davies, and it's like, okay, then it registered yep. in my mind. And it's like one of the great things about this segment <laughs> is that it's just like it's that classic uh, meme that goes around where. Hey, hon, we're too busy just naming random (laughs) athletes. (laughs) It's so awesome. Uh, We just love it. All right, back to me.
3: Yeah, back to you. And this is for the win. You guys are tied 2-2. I don't feel good about this, but I just have to check the name off the list. Dramatic pause. Yoli Childs. Yes! Yes! Yoli! I love you, brother! Woo!
6: 119 games played, 159 blocks. 1.34 1.34 average ah. number 3 on the list.
3: Ath-athle- an athlete even though he was undersized for sure, but he had some great dunks and he had some good blocks. Yoli childs. I
2: love you. Ah, uh, it was the the great kite that sunk me. I should have had that. One. <laughs> I I'm, I'm beating myself up on that. That was that was tailor made for me. Gosh, dang it. Oh well. You got it. Well Who done, Who is Matt? number 6? Thanks, yeah. Mitch.
6: So number 6 is Russell Larson. Oh, he had he had point zero one four marks marks. fewer than Eric. Did you
3: enjoy Mark Durant's uh, tweet or was it early last week where there was a little clip from the newspaper of him and Russell Larson signing with BYU? Of course, you know, I love that. I know you're right. Russ Larson, former KSL statistician. Yes, he was there when uh, I was an intern. (laughs) Now, does he even have a statistician anymore, Greg? I think it's just Tyson. Jack's. The Poor beast. Tyson. These SIDs, they got to do it all. They got to get crumble cookies for the media. <laughs> they got to take stats for Craig.
6: It used to be the intern, so I did it for half of the games in 2019,
3: 2020. What, what was Greg looking for in particular when you were a statistician? Uh, it's mainly trends. Trends like eh, Cougars. Does Greg not use stat broadcast? This is one of my big pet peeves of play by play broadcasters. The trends are given to you. On your iPad, why do you need a statistician to see that BOU's made four field goals in a row? I, I, can't, I, When So I was a jazz broadcast assistant for years in the early days of Gordon Hayward. And that was like the number one thing even the NBA guys wanted. Hey, I need when the guys made like four in a row or scored the last seven points. I'm like, why do you need me? Technology does this. Hey, you <laughs> he, all has, of us can have an Apple Vision Pro, Matt. <laughs> I don't have one. Just, he
1: did have a step
6: broadcast. He, <laughs> he had step, broadca- step broadcast, but uh, I don't know for some reason he wanted to. What about a okay?
3: Back to the list: seven, yeah. eight, nine. Just round out the top ten. I'm curious.
2: Yeah. So Russ was six.
6: Yeah. So six was Russell Larson. Seven, Alan Taylor.
2: Who? Yes. Alan Taylor was, uh, I believe, in the 80s. Okay.
6: Eight, Trent yeah. Placeded. Yeah. yeah. Nine, Alan Pollard, and then Alan ten, Alan Pollard.
2: Alan Pollard, I believe, is related to Scott Pollard. I think it's. His- that, I believe? Wow, the Scott Pollard. I believe so, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Because Scott Pollard, I think, is LDS, or was, grew up. I, I mean, crazy hairs in the NBA, but I, <laughs> I think. Because he was recruited by BYU. Anyway, go on. And then 10
6: is a surprise. So 10 is actually Foose. Oh, wow. So it's still active. This wow, is, this is, as is as a if, surprise. This is as of uh, before the season started, so it's it's not totally up to date. But he was sitting at number 10, uh, .98 blocks a game. So wow. just about one.
2: Foose has got a long wingspan, even though he's six six. What is it, seventy two inch wingspan? It's freaky. I mean, like Foose yeah. is is got a, a massive wingspan, and he he's going to be critical today against West Virginia because Ali Khalifa dealing with a sickness this week. He's been battling the flu, and I, th- I think we're going to see a lot of Foose today uh, for BYU against West Virginia. Good list, Nate yeah. and. Congrats, Matt! Back-to-back wins. I got to get back on track. Feels I gotta... good. You, I feel like you went on like a five-month yeah.
3: winning streak. So it's nice to just get a two-week I'm getting one. Humbled. I'm getting humbled. <laughs> I got to bounce back. <laughs> All right, we'll take the break here. On the other side, we'll do something. We'll, we'll, uh, there's, there's something in the pipe, and it's going to be football. In fact, you know what, Mitch? <laughs> I'm just, I just want to make sure I'm giving the listeners the proper tease. The Big Ten in the SEC—they did something you're want to gonna hear about on the other side.
2: Cougar Sports Saturday here on KSL News Radio. Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte, here on a BYU basketball game day. Cougs gonna be taking on the West Virginia Mountaineers. Four o'clock tip out in Morgantown. Matt, just quick trivia question. On the hills of top five, do you know the last time BYU played at Morgantown? I do. It's 1947. I know. I I'm just testing it on. It, it wasn't really a trivia question for you because I knew you were doing your prep, just to challenge the prep. Yeah, 1947. There were some good game notes on this. Harry S. Truman was the was the president of the wow. United States last time BYU played in Morgantown. So it's been a minute. Big 12 brings out some unique matchups that BYU has not had in many, many years. But being in the Big 12, it, you wonder about the, the future of the league, especially with the 16-team iteration, because as we move forward in college athletics, it feels like it's now just a world about the SEC and the Big 10.
3: Yeah, Pete Thamel had a story earlier in the week. I am dying to get your thoughts on this, but there's a report that the SEC and the Big 10 are creating an advisory committee – that will look at the college sports landscape and solutions within,
2: does this scare you or does this excite you, this advisory committee? It does scare me because I do think we will get to a world where the SEC and the Big Ten break off. But I do think, though, that that might be their intentions out in, you know, Birmingham, Alabama, where the SEC headquarters are, and Rosedale, Illinois, where the Big Ten headquarters are. That might be their hopes to just break away and do their own thing because they think they're bigger and better than everyone. But at the same time, these TV networks still hold the power, ESPN and Fox, and ESPN and Fox are paying $2 billion for the Big 12. They're not just going to say, hey, see you later, SEC Big 10. We're paying $2 billion for a second-tier product that's in the Big 12. I still think also, too, for the SEC and Big 10, even though they've branched out and become more national leagues, that you still need to have a structure that includes Kansas football. Like, it's not critical. Like, no one's been saying on Saturday afternoons, I need to watch the Kansas Jayhawks in the college football schedule. uh, Traditionally, like maybe more so now. But I just still think there needs to be some sort of sense of here's this underdog, here's this. Uh, because you're getting to a point with these conferences. What are you going to have playoffs within the SEC to determine who the SEC champion is, and then that goes into a playoff against the Big Ten? I, I, I think people are kind of getting ahead of themselves with this story and just assuming that they're just going to you know Im- immediately break off soon. But yeah, there is a power too because the media media funnels these narratives. They created the Power Five thing. The NCAA never created power five, group of five. That was a media concoction, and it's just stuck to where now that's part of the vernacular of college athletics, and the media's going to say power two and middle class two with Big 12 ACC and then the rest of the rest. And, like, I just think that at the end of the day, BYU's in the best league they've ever been in. I'm excited about it no matter what. And if it becomes a world where BYU and Utah and the rest of the teams in this league are just battling to be Big 12 champs, so be it because I'm still all for it. But I think it will test a lot of people's patience if there does come a day where the SEC and Big Ten break away. I took a, a little different approach with it. I
3: thought it was actually a, a positive step. I'm, I'm optimistic about it. And here's the reason why. Now, it could very well go south and they could break away, but I think that would be unwise because college football – what has made college football so successful and has become one of the, the the rising sports in this country, Mitch, is, one, it's football. Football is beloved at the NFL level, and it's beloved in college football. But college football is, I think, one of the only sports that is truly regional that has urgency to it. Like college basketball, and there's a lot of other college sports that are regional But there's no urgency. You only pay attention at a certain point of time. Case in point, the NCAA tournament, also the College World Series. No one gives a flying rip about baseball until it's down to the College World Series. That's that's the facts. But football, from week one until this new expanded college football playoff, there's tremendous interest from coast to coast. And I think if you were to break away Big Ten and SEC – it would still be popular, no doubt about it. But you would lose a lot of regional interest in the sport yeah. over time because if you're going to break away and try to pattern yourself off the NFL, you're not. You can't compete with the NFL. Like I just finished reading this book; it was really fascinating. Called the like the demise of the USFL, and the USFL was like making waves as a spring football league. Think back to when Steve Young was with the LA Express. Mm-hmm. Then Donald Trump got in there. Uh, potentially the next president, Donald Trump. And was we like, We got to go to the
2: fall. We, we got to go to the fall.
3: <laughs> yep. And there's one thing I know about football. It's we got to fall. compete. We got to take down the NFL. <laughs> and it crumbled. And I I want to believe, and this could very well be the the Greg Sankey optimist in me, Mitch. I want to believe that they're going to come together and figure out a way to, where there will be some sort of separation but it will be much larger than just the SEC and Big Ten, and they'll create something that kind of models what Chip Kelly was talking about, where you'll have a regional base in every part of the country. Yeah, it's not going to be 100 and something teams, but maybe it's 60 or 64, and you break away and create this upper subdivision. Yeah. But I, I I've kind of looked at it as, as a positive. Like, hey, there are a lot of problems here. How can we fix it? And the solution is not SEC and Big Ten break away.
2: It, Look, if they can find some sort of resolution to NIL and transfer portal, because that's the, the main reason they're doing this, because Tennessee is suing the NCAA for investigating Tennessee into NIL violations. Which I'm sure they did do the violations. Oh, but at the same time, you go, the NCAA just made it a free-for-all in on July 1, 2021. Now you're suddenly trying to be big and bad. Like, come on, True. give me a break. Yep. Uh, yeah, sure, all these teams have been shady for years. <laughs> I mean, They all have. Yep. Now it's just above board. But if you can get some regulations, great. By all means, SEC and Big Ten, please do it. Yeah. Uh, but I just I don't see much changing. I, I'm very curious to see. I think eventually, and Mark Pope kind of referenced this in, when he was talking about NIL this, this week when he was asked about it. We probably got to get to the system where it's got to be revenue sharing. 100%. And the players somehow get a cut of the media rights and schools that are willing to play that game you're going to be probably be part of the that new system and if you're not willing to play that game and get to that level of relationship between maybe employee and school yep. uh then then you're probably going to be left behind it, look that's it, getting There's way
3: too much money being paid to coaches and to universities from a media deal
2: to not have the players in it it's so crazy to think of ha- about how much college sports has changed since you and I took over this show in 2019. I know. I can only imagine what it's going to be five years from now in 2029. Uh, It's wild. And hopefully there's some more regulations. And, again, to your point, to to kind of take a positive look, if the SEC and Big Ten can bring that for college sports, I'm all for that because this world of where rosters are just – basically re-recruited totally. every single year, that's draining. I mean, yep. how do you expect Kalani Satake and Mark Pope to really develop and build cultures when they're just always having to say, are you good? Are you going to stay? Are you yep. leaving? What's totally. the deal? So it's, it's I will a say unique this, world Mitch, right now.
3: The snake in the grass is the Big Ten. Yeah. The Big Ten has been a problem for five years for now. Sure. They sabotage the alliance. So the big if anyone's going to bring down the sport, it's the Big Ten. They seem like the greediest for that's that's for sure. We gotta
2: take a break. Hour number three coming up next. We'll break down BYU West Virginia with a three pointer here on KSL.
0: It's Cougar Sports Saturday.
1: It's complete another
0: touchdown. Cougar Sports Saturday, Saturday. a presentation of KSL KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. YU Sports Talk by Cougar Fans for Cougar Fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte, on Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM.
3: Two hours from now, the Cougs and the Mountaineers will tip off in Morgantown. Pre-game coming your way in an hour, but lucky for you, Cougar fans, you have us. You've had us since noon until three, and we're gonna start pre-game a little early right now with the three-pointer. It's something we do on game days here, where we dive deep to get you ready for the matchup with a key stat, some players to watch, some bold predictions. Let's start off, Mitch, with you and a key stat in the matchup. So the
2: numbers for me to that are kind of interesting, 179 for West Virginia, 95 for BYU. That's the amount of free throw attempts each team has attempted in Big 12 play. West Virginia, number one at getting to the free throw line in the conference. BYU dead last. They settle for a lot of jump shots, obviously, but... Now, with a little bit more of a post presence with Foos, who was four of four from the free throw line last week against Texas, you wonder if BYU can maybe get some calls to go their way, you know, and, and get to the free throw line because West Virginia, especially with their full collection of personnel back now, they kind of feast on the line, especially in wins over Texas, Cincinnati, and Kansas, kind of the defining moments of this team this year. That's only an eight win team. You know, West Virginia. Has a losing record. They're about a 150 team in the net ratings, but at home they're tough, and they feast on the free-throw line, so that's something to watch. BYU's got to be good at, I guess you could say, defending the free-throw line.
3: And to maybe counteract that comes into my key stat, which is BYU is second in the country in made three-pointers per game. They're making over 12 of them a game. To me, if you do have a shorthanded front court, with maybe Ali Khalifa not being there, he did not practice earlier in the week on Thursday.
2: Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't practicing. Wasn't good, available. Good the flu.
3: Wasn't available on Thursday. If he did not make the trip and isn't ready, I feel like you've got to counteract that with a lot of threes. And this team is certainly capable of it, but it's got to be consistent for forty minutes. It can't be some explosive first half against Texas Tech and then you go cold. So the, to me, these are the type of games where maybe you just go in saying. Yeah, we're gonna get inside the foos, but we're gonna jack up a lot of threes, and let's just cross our fingers we shoot thirty seven percent from three and get out of here with a win.
2: And I think it's you know you, you hear this commentary and people would maybe think that they haven't paid attention to West Virginia to go. Why are you guys talking about this game like that? It's because West Virginia again they they've had this weird year where in the off season they fired Bob Huggins who had a DUI. He had a he he said a a slur. That got him suspended, and then he followed that up by getting a DUI, which ultimately got him fired. Then he sued, saying, I never resigned, and then he backed off that. So Josh Eilert's the head coach interim, but they've had this weird year where they had some waiver requests. They were at the center of creating the lawsuits to open up the two-time waivers, thanks West Virginia. Hasn't helped BYU, but it helped them. They got Raekwon Battle Uh, from Montana State eligible to play. They had Kirk Harissa, who was suspended for nine games. He's now back. Uh, Jesse Edwards was dealing with a wrist injury. He was someone that BYU recruited out of Syracuse. Uh, He's back and healthy. So this is a team that is eight wins only because they really haven't ever had their full collection of personnel. The first time they did was on Wednesday night against Cincinnati, and they won. And we know about Cincinnati, how good they can be. So, I think that's why you kind of look at this game on the surface. This is not your traditional days of the WCC when you're facing a 8-win Pacific team and you're like, if you lose this game, this is going to be embarrassing. No, West Virginia is a good team. I think they're going to win a lot more games down the stretch as they continue to get some chemistry together on the floor. Players to watch, though, for you, Matt, to anyone stand out in mind for you on the BYU side? Yeah, for
3: me... It's Spencer Johnson. I feel like these are the type of games where if you're a little shorthanded, you're on the road, you want to rely on your experienced players to get it done. I thought Spencer Johnson had a really nice game against Texas. There are a couple games in there in Big 12 play where he was not making shots. He was not effective. That Texas Tech game, he did not shoot the ball well at all. Spencer Johnson's a guy to me that if you're going to win on the road when the conditions are not ideal, you don't have your full collection of talent, you need – your experienced players to show up. So Spencer Johnson's got to play well. And then for the Mountaineers, you already mentioned him, but Jesse Edwards, 25 and 10, earlier in the week against Cincinnati, he's going to be a problem for this BYU team.
2: And he also had four blocks too. First time ever in West Virginia's history that they've had a player in a game have a stat line of 25, 10, and four. Jesse Edwards, really good player, six foot 11 big out of Syracuse. For BYU, Dallin Hall, to me, you know, earlier in the show, Jim Jimmer Fredette, the great Jimmer Fredette, talking about how really Dallin's the only ball handler on this team. And when you're someone that uh, there's not really any depth behind Dallin at that point guard spot, his presence is critical, especially in a tough road environment. It's expected to be a pretty good crowd at West Virginia as that fan base is starting to believe that this team can maybe get on a run. And... So I'm very curious to see how Dallin Hall performs. I think this is one where he's got to be big, and you talk about three-point shooting. Dallin's someone that when he's feeling it, uh, he can be a real weapon for BYU. And then on the West Virginia side, Kirk Carisa, he was someone that I heard a lot about when he was overseas in, I believe, Estonia, BYU was recruiting him. You talk about the, uh, the, the foreign international recruiting that BYU was really leaning in heavily on early in the time of Mark Pope. You know Cody Feger, who was on this show earlier today, he was making those trips to go visit Kirk Carisa, And then they tried to get him when he entered the portal after uh, this pass-off season when he left Arizona. So they really like Kirk Carisa, and, and he's healthy. He's about a 10-5 and guy for the Mountaineers, so that should be a good guard line battle between Dallin Hall and Kirk Carisa.
3: Bold prediction. I'll go first. Trevin Nell has not been the same player since down in Orlando. Had the injury, got moved to the bench, was sick last week. I know he played a little bit, but was under the weather in the win against Texas. I think he bounces back. They need his scoring production off the bench right now. I say that he has double-digit points off the bench for BYU against West Virginia.
2: I like that. Have you been surprised? Do you feel like that coming off the bench instead of being in the starting five has really had an impact on his shooting? I think shooting? it's had Did a
3: huge impact on think there's on nuance him? to that? Some players, yes. Yeah, some players, no. He, it's obvious he hasn't been the same player, since coming off the bench. And, and to me, Jackson Robinson already proved he can be effective off the bench. If the if the benefit is you put Robinson on the bench and he still plays the most minutes and finishes the game, yada, yada, yada. But if Trevor Nell can give you the double-digit scoring that you had to start Big 12 play, isn't
2: that a, a net positive? Yeah. No, I, I, I'd
3: put him back in the starting lineup, personally.
2: I'm okay with that. I, I think Nell, when he's on fire, man, he's got to get back to what he was doing at Baylor, at, at, against Cincinnati. I mean, you, you can't expect nine threes every night, but he's a weapon. And BYU's got so many options. When uh, they get on a roll, they can really fill it up, especially from three, and that's where my bold prediction ties in for BYU today. I'm going to go really bold. Say they knock down 45% of their threes.
3: Wow, that is
2: bold. I, I, you if know they I, do that, they're winning. <laughs> they do. They, so I'm going to say, now, do they get off the 30 threes because we did see last week Texas made it a huge priority to defend the three-point line. I have to think West Virginia is going to maybe take a similar approach and say, hey, we'll try to let them beat us they in They won't the paint.
3: be able to, though, because of Foose. I, I think the thing that we saw at the end of that Texas game is Foose is going to be a problem in the low post. And yeah. then they got Jesse Edwards to defend him, but Foose has become a better passer. And we haven't even touched on this all show. It's worth It's worth mentioning the long rest period, only one game this week, which yep. hasn't even been played, that benefited Foos maybe the most to wear a little extra time for him to keep recovering from the injury. So I feel like if you're going to
2: sell out to, on the three-point line, Foos is going to make you pay down low. The midweek buys, too, are a new dynamic I learned in the league this year. The only reason it's, it's a thing is because there's no SEC Big 12 challenge. So it's kind of a new dynamic because typically that took place in February – and that would occupy uh, a week, a, mid, a weekend, now, that's no longer an option. So it's created these midweek buys for teams in the league, which apparently was something not happening in the Big 12 Conference. So BYU does come into West Virginia rested. I prefer the challenge, though, I think. Oh, yeah, it would, How cool would it have been to play, as we're seeing on TV right now, Texas A&M coming to Provo. like That would have been Cool to avenge the, the days of DeAndre Jordan's <laughs> tallyooping over BYU in the NCAA tournament. Did you get that win? Uh, but, yeah, I like, I like that. So, this is going to be a good game, BYU-West Virginia. But it's also a dicey one, Matt, because on paper and the advanced metrics and analytics, it says, you lose this game, BYU, uh, this is a quad three, it, it could hurt maybe by a seed line. Your NCAA tournament status, BYU's projected by many bracketologists as a five seed, could drop them to a six because West Virginia's a and then you fall number one fifty Salt team. Lake, right? Potentially, I would assume, but BYU doesn't have many options to turn to in that bracket with the Thursday Saturday dynamic. That could honestly help their efforts to get to Salt Lake.
3: All right, let's take a break. Let's get to some Mark Pope comments from earlier in the week. We'll break that down, and then at two thirty, Sam Farnsworth of KSL 5 TV. We'll talk some hoops. We'll talk some football with Sam. Stay with us. A lot more to go before we get ready for BYU basketball pregame at 3 p.m. Welcome back in. Cougars and Mountaineers coming your way in about 90 minutes and earlier in the week. The head ball coach, Mark Pope, sat down with the media. A lot of interesting commentary. We'll play some of it right now as we get you ready for BYU in West Virginia.
1: Coach,
6: we talk with Kalani and the football staff when they travel back east for two time zone trips. Does it affect basketball players as much as it may affect football players? Because so they like to go extra early when it comes to yeah, football?
7: I think it's, it's so much easier to travel. I mean, you I think about I don't know how much of football equipment people are getting paid, but they should be getting paid more. That's a lot of gear. For us it's easy. We just everyone takes one bag and we just jump on and we're calling and we're there. So I think the thing that I worry about most is the time differential. Like we went and played in Florida. It just seemed early, right? And this will be a six going to a four for us, essentially a four for us. So it's kind of right in our real house. You want your guys, you know, we kind of worry about our guys finding a way to get to sleep Friday night. And so they don't know this, but I'm going to put them through an excruciating conditioning regimen right before bedtime so they can sleep. But yeah it's just part of the deal like it's it's um it's a little bit of a challenge but it's a challenge that everybody faces and we got to be able to overcome
2: this this isn't your typical eight win team in february west virginia like
7: what's kind of the, the thoughts on them with them having their personnel back yeah this this west virginia team is really good you think about it so all they've done in the last two weeks is beat kansas beat texas and beat cincinnati and that's its eight win team like i mean go figure this Jesse Edwards was unbelievable last night. I mean his size and length and the space he covers and what was he twenty-five and ten, give or take? Three blocks. I mean if you talk about one piece it's gonna change your whole existence as a team and then They've got some other guys healthy, you know, their their roster's finally healthy. And, you know, they are great at home. I mean, they're unbelievable at home. So if you look at them statistically right now, they're actually plus 30 free throws over their opponent at home and minus 30 free throws on the road. If you can believe that. They're plus plus eleven percent. they're 44% shooting three at home and 33% shooting it on the road. Uh, the, you know, the, the kind of every stat you get online, this team is a team that is killing at home right now and clearly they've beat the best in our league at their place and so i'm gonna tell you what's great about this league is that we're going to play a team where we're supposed to win this game like it's like you got to go win this game if you're going to win a game and they just beat kansas and texas and cincinnati and and like that's how awesome this league is right and so it's great but like we love it bit. i can't wait to get there Morgantown's a really special place it's beautiful and uh, their fan base is incredible. It's going to be a, it's going to be an unbelievable game on Saturday. Mark, what
1: what do you attribute
7: Noah Waterman's nice improvement or pretty pretty yeah. great improvement from one year to this year? What what's what's happening? It's him. So uh, one of the greatest things ever as a coach is when a player just makes some decisions that he's going to change. Like it was almost like in a day, guys. Like he just woke up one day and said, "I I'm going to approach this different. Um, He did it with his urgency. He did it with his off-court life. He did it with his academic life. He did it with building relationships with his teammates. I wish I could take some credit for it, but I can't. You know, I think his teammates could take a lot of credit. I think that he takes most of the credit for just saying, you know what, I'm actually gonna believe. I'm gonna believe that the way I'm approaching this needs to change and I'm actually gonna change it. And so, Uh, I just you know it doesn't happen like that all the time and when it does it but it's what you dream of as a coach is to be able to just bear witness to guys growing and make shots or not or or not right put up 20 or put up two, like he's a different human being right now and it's super cool man it's very cool and it's his own doing. He just got to the point where it's like I'm going to do this different. I'm going to approach this different. It's, it's he's, he's reaping the rewards right now.
2: How would you assess how the the backup point guard situation is developing? With you know situations to give Dallin a breather. How do, how do you feel like that's progressing?
7: Yeah, um, I think it's going to be super interesting. I mean, we're still trying to figure it out. Trey's obviously given us some, uh, some great life. Jax is uh, really interesting, trying to find more space for him to be on the floor more. That's probably the three guys that we're spending the most time with right now, doing that, um, and the truth is, is that for all intents and purposes, when Ollie's on the floor, he's really the point guard. I mean, we're really running all the offense through him. So I kind of think of that as our four guys that are, that are, that are um, um, carrying the heavy burden of the playmaker role for our team. And it's going to be a work in progress all season long. How
3: does he boost back to kind of change things going forward? His ability to
7: score in the low post. What's interesting is this league is the more the farther we go on, the more he's going to be important in the short role. Him in the post is great. Him in the short role is massively important for us. And he's actually made a couple of great plays against Texas that way. And it's a space where he's got a bunch of weapons. His, his quicks are really good to eight or nine or ten feet, and he's really comfortable getting off. He's really good off the bounce. Um, if, if people don't rotate a double to the short roll and then he's pretty good at finding guys and we've gotten better at cutting. So um, he's really important for us there. Uh, and clearly he's really important for us to get a standing post catch now and again. Um, but the most important thing, you know, what I was really pleased with leading up to the Texas game was his energy and transition defense sprinting the floor and bringing energy to the defensive end starting with transition defense and then manufacturing rotations with a few exceptions, he was really good. And that's where he could be a game changer for us. If he can if he can be great on that side of the ball, it makes a big difference for us. Have
2: you, have you shut down Marcus Adams or is there a chance he still could? Play? Marcus
7: actually had last week had his first full week of practice. It was incredible. He's still dealing with some injuries that I don't know if they're ever gonna be able to resolve uh, this year. So we're, you know we're trying to get him to a place where he can get fully cleared, but to just have him on the practice floor was super fun. You know he's got to do some things modified right now because he can't um, he can't do full participation all the time. But but um, we had a really good week with him last week, and so we'll see we'll see how it goes. Is this nice
6: question? Is there any hope of you potentially putting Ali and Foose together on the court or Kiki putting
7: a big lineup? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yes, I want that so badly. I just can't practice. Like, you know, we we won't have Ali for practice at all this week. And so it's just so weird guys to like, just throw that out there in a game. I wish I was more trusting, but we just, there's so many unintended consequences. So, you know, even in this week where you felt like, oh man, we're going to squeeze some time together. It just happened with injury and illness that that those guys won't be on the practice floor all all, uh, together this week. And so, man, I would like it, that would be so fantastic. Because um, those three guys, they actually have interesting ways they can function together with, with Fuse and and I Could probably put Foose at the four, uh, Atikia at the four defensively, and and Fuse at the five offensively. Just because the way foos functions as a ball handler is a little bit different than Atikia, and and uh, it'd be all kind of interesting the the ways we could kind of squeeze one of those guys with Ali on the floor together. Certainly, with the way this this league is rebounding right now, that would be super impactful for us. It's just. <laughs> We just, I don't know, we've had six, it feels like maybe six reps the entire year where I might have been able to put those guys on the floor together on the same team. And so, you know, maybe we get really blessed and, and the last, you know, two months of the season we find some more days where we can actually put them out there and see what it looks like. But we just, it's crazy how how we have not had that opportunity at all.
2: That's BYU head coach Mark Pope getting you ready for BYU and West Virginia. We'll get a check in on Big 12 basketball scores, and then catch up with Sam Farnsworth next here on Cougar Sports Saturday.
0: It's Cougar Sports Saturday. It's
1: complete another
0: touchdown! Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He Got it again! BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte on Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM.
2: Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday here on KSL News Radio. Busy Big 12 basketball game day. Texas just took down number 25 TCU 77 to 66 in Fort Worth. Should be noted, TCU paid homage to BYU and oh, had boy. horns down shirts spelled out in the front row of their student <laughs> section. Did they get taken off halfway through? So, to Mark Pope's credit, maybe it was uh, just it's bad karma. You put out, you put up horns down, you're going to lose. So maybe the fact that BYU took down the horns That's down shirt, it gave them good karma. They took down the Longhorns. Good I don't point. know. Uh, Oklahoma State took down Kansas State in Stillwater. That's kind of surprising. 7572 we're watching Kansas take on Houston two top 10 teams in Fog Allen Fieldhouse the Jayhawks dominating Houston 28 to 15 807 to go in the first half but we got to welcome in our guest in the studio Sam Farnsworth of KSL 5 TV he's going to be holding it down this weekend on KSL Sports Live Sam welcome on in man What's up, guys?
8: Good to see you it's in person. Been,
3: it's been a little bit. Yeah, awesome. Good, great to see you guys, too. That's You're, a great suit color. I just need to throw that out there. A <laughs> little know. TCU-ish purple, but... <laughs> this is the neutral color for our state.
8: That, it's a great what, point. You get like, look, look, I'm just telling you, rivalry week. You know, you got blue, you <laughs> yeah. got red. Mix them together, you get purple. There I'm you go. I'm just saying. There that, you
2: go. That is perfect, and we wanted to bring you on to talk about that Big 12 football schedule with 16 teams now, BYU, Utah. Your thoughts on BYU's schedule and the placement of the rivalry game on November 9th so yeah that was my first reaction
8: and I'm sure a lot of fans in this state had reactions to the rivalry whether they rivalry I can't speak it is tough had, had reactions to to that uh that date November 9th I mean look my initial reaction I'll just be honest I'm like Brett, your mark, you
1: blew it. Come on. Like Adam
8: Sandler, Billy Madison,
1: you blew it. Yeah, that
8: one. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just like, I'm like, what is happening here? We we get this rivalry back together. I'm thinking, okay, there's a chance maybe it's early in the season because initially that's where it was scheduled. But once or earlier in the year when they cleared that weekend and teams, you know, BYU Utah started to film with different opponents, I'm like, okay, they're setting up for the season finale matchup here which is what we haven't had for a long time in this state, which is I, I think fans love that about it. So one way or the other, if your team is not doing so great, you have something to look forward to still, that, that season-ending uh, game to hang your hat on for a whole year. I don't know. That's just my opinion on it. I thought if that is indeed the the premier rivalry matchup now in the Big 12 Conference, which I believe it is, Why not showcase that on Rivalry Weekend? And I know all of the arguments out there. Well, you know, you got Michigan and and, uh, Ohio State. They are strong arguments. They are, but that's always been that way in the past too, right? And look, the Big 12 still has a time slot somewhere for that week, right? And Maybe it is a flexible time slot. I don't know, but they still, if they make that their premier game, they're going to get the premier Big 12 time slot for that week. So, I, I don't know. Look, maybe I'm the only one out there on this thing, but... BYU and Utah should be playing the final week of the season. So there's my there's my initial reaction to the schedule was like I wasn't even paying attention to the
3: rest of the games. I'm what, like, what's happening? What about from wins and losses? Just an initial look, you're like, gut check, I think it's gonna be this. So I,
8: I think six wins is hard. realistic. Oh, I I don't I don't think it's gonna be easy, but I think six wins is, is realistic. And not only is it realistic, I think that's that should be the uh the bar for this season at a minimum. I I, I get it. Coaches, they're always going to be like, well, we're competing for a conference championship. You know, not for six wins. We're trying to... I get it. That's all coach speak. That's locker room speak. Everyone says that in every program, in every part of the country, even if they're going to go 0-11, they're going to the lock room. Well, we're competing for a conference championship. I get it. But the realistic approach to just this whole progression in Big 12 play, in my opinion, you have to take one step forward. You got to get to that six win mark. You don't get to that six win mark. I think that's when things might start to heat up a little bit in Provo.
2: Do you think the heat is going to be centered around Kalani, where it's win or there's got to be tough conversations? I, I think that it was it was tough last season, going five and seven. Right. It, it, yeah. I mean, you start at the top,
8: right? That's 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 where the conversation has to begin. I think Kalani's the perfect coach for BYU football. I still think he's going to build something pretty darn good down there, given time i just don't know that time is necessarily uh, not to steer this conversation too far away from scheduling here but we look at the big picture we're talking about Big 10 and SEC making yep. this this union of what potentially might become this major college football league in our country you got to be on the inside of that conversation and if you're not winning football games in a what a lot of the country says is now a weakened Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma officially leaving you've got to be at the top tier of that conference. And I don't expect them to be there this year, but it's got to happen quicker. It's got to happen sooner than later. Uh, just that's the big picture approach, I think.
2: And, and, sh- and short term, I think, you know, with Utah now in the mix, that I think that adds even more pressure because that game 100%. takes on so much life of its own too. So be, Kalani, he's got the last win over Witt, mm-hmm. but now he's got to, if he could If he could get another win over Utah, that would be a pretty big deal.
8: Yeah, 100%, because now suddenly you're not just playing for the rivalry. You're not just playing for conference pride and potential conference championships, but it could come down to a point someday in three, four, whenever years that they're looking at the Utah market for this college football league saying, okay, we've got room for one. So which team is it going to be? You've got to be the team winning the football games. You've got to be the team winning the rivalry. You've got to be the team winning in the recruiting battles. You've got to be that team. BYU's got to get there.
3: Let's turn the page to hoops for a minute. BYU and West Virginia coming up in just a little bit. How do you feel about this BYU team? Analytically, they're fantastic. Right. When you look at the conference record, it's a losing record currently. How do you feel about this group? I mean, Big 12 basketball, it's its a real thing, right? It, this is legit <laughs> stuff. It's pretty awesome every week. And,
8: and to think that you know BYU can have hiccups along the way, and it's not hurting them overall. right? You can't continue to slide, but splitting – every week getting a win and a loss that that seems to be keeping them in this sweet spot that we're seeing you know joe lunardi's had him in the five spot for like three or four weeks in a row now as far as a seed go that's it's not a it's not changing his opinion you know he's just one mind but but he's he's kind of looked at as the bracketologist in the country right the net ranking they don't slide too far in that with with these little hiccups along the way so playing in big 12 um Gosh, this has been the greatest thing for BYU basketball in a long, long time, and yeah. and you know I'm I'm right there with probably the majority of the people who thought, man, this is going to be a rough year of basketball for BYU. I was but one of them. You know what though? It, it just goes to show you that Mark Pope, just how great of a, a basketball coach he is, how he's been able to to put this team together and get them um, playing the style of basketball that he feels will be successful in the Big Twelve, and so far it has been to the point that uh, they're looking at a pretty good tournament spot you know, you, you want to see them gaining a little more momentum than just splitting every single week going into the conference tournament. But uh, um, they are talented, they are deep, and I think it'll pay off once once conference tournaments and uh, NCAA tournaments come around.
2: Talking with Sam Farnsworth of KSL 5 TV, you can check him out on KSL Sports Live every single weekend here on Channel 5 and obviously weeknights on, on KSL 5 TV. Sam, I'm curious, what, who do you think is the best player on this BYU team? I, I think that's a debate where it could, Have a lot of different answers. Who who do from your observations that you've watched this team over the past couple months? Who do you think is the best player? That opinion has
8: fluctuated a little bit throughout the year because, and I think that's a good thing if you're you know for BYU basketball because it means any any given week there's another guy stepping up. You know whether earlier in the season whether it was Noah Waterman doing his thing or whatever. I think one of the most consistent guys, one of the guys that I've been at least backing for a for a long time is.
6: Essentially what you're going to do
8: is you're going to record Jackson Robinson. He's, he's still probably, and I know he had the, the, the ankle injury. I feel like that slowed him down a little bit because he was on this progression and, and we're still seeing him pop up. I've seen some of your stories, Mitch. He's still popping up on mock drafts, late first round in some of these mock drafts. He is a talented, talented basketball player. And I early way back before the, the week of the BYU Utah game. So it's been a couple months, but the week of that game, I ranked my top college basketball players in the state. And I had Jackson Robinson on this list. Uh, as well. Utah State fans, luckily they probably aren't listening to this show, but they <laughs> blew me up on social media for not having their guy on my list. But I feel I feel like Jackson Robinson um, w- was in the conversation for a top three college basketball player in the state uh, of Utah at the time, and I still feel like he has that talent. Um, right now, I might say Foos is the most valuable player on that basketball team because we've seen how good BYU is from the perimeter, but they've kind of always lacked an inside presence, and that happened early when Foos went down, right? His return, we've seen that presence return on both ends of the floor. And how – I can't remember which game it was a couple games ago where BYU didn't have to shoot nearly as many threes. Foos was that presence inside on offense and on defense. I think right
3: now he might be the most valuable player on this team, though. Which team do you think is better equipped to go on a tournament run, BYU or Utah State?
8: That's a great question.
3: Um, I ask because I haven't followed Utah State that closely. I'll be honest. I've been I've been deep in the weeds yeah. on Big Twelve, so I need I need someone who knows Utah State basketball to inform me.
8: Well, I think fr- from you know the competition standpoint, how they've been tested this year, BYU s- s- clearly has been more tested. I think throughout this year, and come tournament time, I think that helps. Right? You're used to playing these these tournament caliber teams on a nightly basis. Utah State hasn't had that, but Utah State has risen to the occasion against teams that people felt like, well, this team, you know, that Colorado State team that Utah State beat, people were like, well, this Colorado State team is is going to be a Sweet 16 run uh, this NCAA tournament. Utah State beats them. Um, Utah State right now is, is currently in a pretty tight one on the road at Viejas Arena against San Diego State. We'll see how that one turns out. But the one thing about Utah State I will say is that they've surprised me with uh, more and more players – I don't want to call it depth yet because I don't feel like they can go that deep down the bench, but more and more players that they can actually turn to to uh, help carry that team. Um, but I don't want to talk about Utah State forever here on this show. You, B- I, look, the answer to your question is BYU is is built for a deeper turning run than Utah State is. But I wouldn't necessarily say Utah State can't win a game or two in the tournament yeah. either. So. Yeah,
2: Hopefully both of them are in Salt Lake. That'd be amazing at right? Delta Center for the NCAA tournament. That'd be awesome. I would what if love that's that. that's like a
3: five twelve matchup.
2: Well, I, I can't see that happening. <laughs> yeah, I think I know. Utah State's probably pacing at a seven. BYU yeah. at a five right now. Yeah. So, but as, if they could both get into Salt Lake, that would be a lot of fun to see. Let's switch over back to football. Mm-hmm. NFL Super Bowl coming up. Big storyline, of course, for BYU fans. Fred Warner, mm-hmm. Andy Reid. Your feelings on this matchup, a rematch of 2020 Super Bowl?
8: Man, I'll tell you what, Andy Reid, he's in that conversation, top three coach of all time. Do you think? Am I am I going oh, a yeah. little go too Easy. far Absolutely. with that? No, no, no. I he's mean,
3: two, I'd say top two at this point. And and you know.
8: You could make an argument that he's a better coach than than Bill Belichick. I'll just say yeah. that because Bill and Tom are kind of linked at the hip, right? And we saw what happened. I'm not saying Bill's not a great coach, but we knew what Bill was as a head coach before Tom and what he's been after Tom. Um, I'm not saying Tom carried Bill Belichick the whole way, but... I think you're right. But we've seen what Andy Reid has done with two different teams, several different quarterbacks. Yep. How many conference championship games has he been to more than anyone but Bill? Uh, and he's done that with multiple quarterbacks. He's been to the Super Bowl with multiple teams. Um, and he look, did it in a conference without the Jets for 20 years. There you go. And so I'm just saying, like, a- Andy Reid is a special, special head coach in the National Football League. He's well-liked by players. He's well-liked by the media. You see him in commercials now. Um you know when he's when he's reaching across the table talking to Patrick, hey let's do that again with those nuggies this time. You know it's like <laughs> like I'll tell you what Andy Reed, he's drawn marker uh, mustaches on. I'm like come on, what don't you like about? It? He's recreating the uh, Snickers commercials. That's great, but who are the chefs? You know all these things. I I can go on for days about how great Andy Reid is. So there's a part of me even though I'm a, I'm a you know childhood Bronco fan and you don't <laughs> yeah. like anyone else in the AFC. I like seeing Andy Reid succeed. And what he's doing. I'd love to see him get another ring. As far as Fred Warner goes, I mean, that guy's just legit, right? I mean, all pro again. He is the best at his position in the National Football League. I would love to see him celebrate with a, a championship ring this weekend as well. But, uh, I, I, you know, when it comes down to it, I think Andy is, uh, it's hard to pick against this Chiefs team. It really
3: is. They were not good all regular season, and now they're you're picking them. Andy Reid knows what to do when they get to the playoffs. <laughs> That's amazing. Most importantly, though, Sam, and last thing for you, hmm. is Taylor Swift going to make it to the Super Bowl? Do you have, <laughs> do you have any inside information? Is, is Are we going to get our Swift airtime?
8: All I know is that uh, there are the, the – Hey, there's the Swifties out there that are like tracking her like a, a hawk and I saw a tweet last week saying that she'll arrive within 24 hours of the game and yes. so Swiftie fans don't worry she she should she should be How crazy <laughs> is that we're talking about Taylor Swift in the Super Bowl and she's not part of the halftime show. I know.
1: That's I I like it. take I it. it over.
3: I love it. I'm
8: a big fan of it. I love it too.
3: It, it genuinely seems like she's into football,
2: which yeah. is what I love, right? I just don't love there's this undercurrent uh Political angle that's being this controversial. Totally. I'm not going to get into that. You can look it up on social media, <laughs> but like that's where I think a lot of the disdain for her airtime. There's an agenda. There's something coming out of this. No, it's it's fine. Like it's as fu- as someone who has wrote 15 million articles on Cosmo, the sideshow <laughs> antics definitely matter in these games. Hey, and one of the best. It wasn't
3: even a sideshow antic, but one of the best moments was. Andy Reid and her having a moment post-game, po- uh, pointing at each other yeah. in the celebration. Right. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Hey, yeah.
2: on the spot, Sam, real yeah. quick before we let you go, best BYU Super Bowl moment ever. I know it's on the spot. We didn't tee you up for this. But if you had to think, on the spot, a BYU tie Super Bowl moment. It,
3: there's only one correct answer here, too.
8: Well, there's one that immediately comes yes. to mind, and then you have to think a little harder for some others. Uh, but uh, you know, get the monkey off my back, yes. Steve yes. Young, yes. Right? right? So, yeah. Yeah. Super Bowl that, 29. That's got to be. That's got to be there. And then maybe, maybe there's a Dirty Dan moment somewhere yeah. out there, or I don't know. But yeah,
3: it's got to be Steve Young. Got to yeah. be Steve. Sam, always a pleasure. Good to see you in person, man. Thanks, guys. All right, Thanks, that's uh, KSL Five TV. Sam Farns. We're taking the break. Uh, we'll wrap up with the show on the other side. We're moments away from pregame BYU and West Virginia tip-off in about an hour and five minutes, so let's not waste any time and get to our score predictions for a road battle for the Cougs. Let's bring in our producer, Nate Slack. Uh, Quick thoughts on the game and your prediction?
6: Yeah, I'm a little nervous about it just because uh, we've heard a little bit about Ali Khalifa not practicing this week, and it looks like reports are starting to surface that he didn't make the trip, so... If hopefully out,
3: Greg Rubel can confirm here momentarily. Yes, I hope so, but uh,
6: hopefully he's able to go. If, if not, I think what Fu showed last week is he's looking a whole lot more healthy, so push the ball down to him. I think that'll bring down the score a little bit. I think BYU can still win just because of what Fu showed last week. We've kind of got flashes of what he's been the past couple of years, so I'm going to be a little more positive than what my, what my brain is telling me, but I'll go BYU 78, West Virginia 72.
3: I'll go next. I don't think BYU wins this game. I still have some question marks about late-game situations, and then you factor in the illness situation, Ali Khalifa. is he not been the most surprising standout player on the team this year? I, I, I did not believe that when he got brought in from the portal, he would have this kind of impact. It was a tough debut, and he's had to work his way back into shape, but, yeah, he's had a huge impact. Huge impact. To not have him. Uh, Coach Pope called him the point guard when he's on the floor <laughs> earlier in the week. So, even though Dallin is, uh, Hall is the point guard, he says Khalifa runs the offense when he's in the game. He, if, if he's not there, that is a massive blow. And then, let's also give some credit to West Virginia, who they have gotten players available. They're becoming better. And their, their stats between home and away, they're like two different teams. On the road, everything dips at home. Everything shoots up. I, it just it's a really hard situation to be in on the road against a good team when you are undermanned. I've got to go with West Virginia.
2: I, I'm feeling like Nate in this game where my mind is, or my gut is telling me to pick West Virginia. But you know what? I'm going to say BYU pulls off something here and kind of gives us a uh, a real – Strong showing and pulls off a close win. 81-80, that's my prediction for BYU. I said they're going to, my bold predictions, they're going to knock down a lot of threes. West Virginia's a team that feasts on the free throw line and mid-range shots. Raekwon Battle is a mid-range guy, so but I say the Cougars get it done and get that victory and move to 4-4 four and four in Big 12 play. They'll stay in Morgantown and then travel to Oklahoma on Tuesday, but big one today, between BYU and West Virginia right here on
3: KSL. That would be a huge win, Mitch, if they were to get that on the road, undermanned against a, a not a surging West Virginia team, but an improving West Virginia team. And to win in that fashion, a late-game win, I think would go a long way to help the Cougs as they get further into Big 12 play.
2: We will talk to you on Monday night, Cougar Nation, 6-7. to 7, So get ready, Cougar fans. We'll be taking your phone calls to talk more BYU and Big 12 basketball right here on KSL, your legacy home of the Cougars.